0: The following podcast may contain movie spoilers, outdated pop-cultural references, and occasional f***ing language. Sensitive listeners should plug their ears with their fingers. In three, two, one. Yes.
1: rolling sound, quiet. Speak.
0: good world. What you watching? Be specific. This is the third, yes, I said third season of subgenre, and this one is all about what we're calling time twisters. That's movies that break away from the normal timeline we all know and kind of go their own way about it for better and sometimes for worse. Trying to keep track of things, I'm your host, Josh Dassel, and today we've got I I just don't know how to explain it very well. It was a movie made in the late 70s. It's about World War II, kind of. It's full of actors you've probably never heard of. The plot is all over the place. And to top it off, the whole thing is in Czechoslovakian. I wish I was kidding, but I am not. It stars, and forgive the pronunciations, Peter Kostka, Yuri Sovak, and Vladimir Mincic. I don't know, in a film by writer-director Yndrich Polak. Here we go. Board your space rocket now to see the dinosaurs. This is Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and Scald Myself with tea. And with me here in Studio K is actually the first person I thought of who might, might appreciate a film like this, and I am way happy she's agreed to take it on with me. It's NC Jones. Welcome back to Subgenre NC what in the Eastern European hell have you agreed to here?
1: (laughs) I don't know uh, exactly. I'm still trying to figure out what I think about this film. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little curious of why you thought of me for this particular one when it comes to time travel movies. Well, I can answer that pretty simply.
0: You are a, a veteran of this show. You've done some pretty involved movies with me that we broke apart relatively deeply, and that would be The Enemy Below in our first season and To Catch a Thief in our second season. You are also someone who is very film literate. And so I think that helps here when we're covering a foreign film, especially one for a country that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. And the general tone of the film just, I don't know why, felt like something I thought you might appreciate.
1: I can see that connection because there's some, you know, Marx Brothers and a Woody Allen kind of coming through uh, as I'm grasping because I was not very familiar with <laughs> Check new way of film. Check is
0: like a new way of films. I know for a fact we're going to have to set this up here. So as we said, season three is about time twisters. This is movies that are just sort of doing something with the timeline, whether that's going back in time, going forward in time, twisting things around, confusing them up, and... While researching movies to do for this episode, I came across some of the usual suspects, a few of them not as usual that we're covering on this season. So, for instance, Somewhere in Time, which we Mm -hmm. did as our second episode of the season. And then there were a couple of movies that popped up that I went, I've never heard of these. The reviews and discussions on them are really kind of interesting. I have no idea if they're going to 100 percent fit this, but let's just try one. And that is why I picked this, besides the title, which I think is amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. One of the longest titles that come to mind. Maybe Dr. Strangelove has it by a few characters. I... Had not heard of this film at all before. So I went in completely blind. Same. Uh, and uh I would
0: imagine ten tenths of our audience <laughs> have ever heard of this film. <laughs> have, before, never, yes. have have never heard of this film. Everyone is going into this blind. I will say this. Normally we say if you have not seen this movie, go see this movie, because we're gonna spoil a whole bunch of stuff yeah. in it. And we typically encourage you to do that. I would still encourage you, if you have not seen this film, to go where both of us went to find it, which was to YouTube. The whole thing is on YouTube. You can sit and watch it. But to go and find this movie and watch it, you're going to appreciate and less appreciate, more just understand some of the things that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But if you haven't done that, I still think it's okay to listen to this because it doesn't make sense anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. The second time I watched it, things weren't wholly that much more clear. I mean, you sort of get it, but there's a lot of randomness. And after I watched it, I kind of did a little digging and it's based off of a short story and I couldn't find an English translation of it. Just very interesting um, window into that sci-fi era, late 70s. I mean 1977 is the same year year, Star Wars came out. so But this is not Star Wars.
0: (laughs) When I first approached you about doing this, and I know we talked about, we should do this other movie and we should do this. And I said, no, no, no. Will you do this one with (laughs) me? What was your initial reaction?
1: Well, I I hadn't heard of it, so I didn't have any um, particular thing. That's probably better. But you know, the premise is let's go back in time and kill Hitler. And that's, (laughs) you (laughs) know. Spoiler alert, everybody. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, It's not the majority of the film, but uh, that's a tried and true trope. Uh, Sure. Yes,
0: at its core, this is a movie about time travel and Hitler and other things, yes, right? Yes. That's kind of what it is. Yeah, We won't get too much into the weeds just yet before we really set the scene on this film and, and kind of understand where this came from and some of the context and who's in it. So what do we know?
1: 1977 released August 1st, Czechoslovakia, you know, before the Czech Republic and uh, Slovakia separated. Now, this um, was this was
0: Iron Curtain days when yes, this got released, yeah?
1: very much so. And the Czech film industry, I guess, had kind of a big boom coming off of the late 60s, the kind of revolutionary stuff that came down. So I wasn't familiar with Berendov Studios. Uh, yeah,
0: Berendov Studios, it's a complex now, but Berendov Studios back in the day was started, I think, by these two brothers. It was basically just a film production company. And over time, has grown into this massive studio set in Prague. Who is involved in you? you name the movie, yeah. and lots of even modern day movies are shot at Berendov.
1: The community was so insular, and in coming out of that, and I think you see the same faces and the actors, and in so many of the films. Um, like I said, I wasn't really too familiar. I think my my main kind of cornerstone for um, Czech films is Miloš Forman, mm-hmm. uh, Fireman's Ball*,
0: who came out so, who came out yeah. of being one of those early Czech filmmakers from Berendov. Yeah, exactly.
1: Place. So that's kind of where I'm. Reaching reaching for it, mm-hmm. but not so familiar. And, and like I said, it's uh, based off of that short story, Yosef Nizvadba.
0: Neither one of us are Czech. Yeah. So just everybody from the top, we're going to do our best in trying to pronounce some of these names. Please forgive us as we go along. Uh, if you are Czech or know anyone who is, just let them know that we're doing our best. Yeah. Okay, yes. Uh, Yosef, Yo- I'm going to go with Nizvadba.
1: Nizvadba. yeah. Couldn't find the story, but very interested. He had uh, quite a few short stories from what I'm seeing. So there's some translations. I think they're all out of print, but uh, maybe something to dig up in the used bookstore. Yeah, and the other thing that you catch immediately that it's in three and not 16.9, like it immediately looks like television to me of that era, Doctor Who kind of stuff. And yeah. I kind of
0: wonder was that because this was sort of a Soviet-era film? Like, that's what we're working with, is, you know, most things are being distributed in three yeah. or not a lot of cinemascope Cine- yeah, and whatever or, or prints or going processing.
1: on. processing, yeah, large prints. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, financially, but again, don't know a whole lot about the industry of if that was a choice, but um, more than a utilitarian decision.
0: Yeah, directed and written by a director named uh, Gendrich Polak.
1: I wasn't familiar with any of his work. I think no, me either. Yeah, same fresh. Same
0: with the writers. Like, the there was the short story writer credited as one of the writers on this, as well as Milos Mekurek, who is the other writer, so a co-written project, and has three stars in it who, kind of like the United Artists days, really some other filmmakers uh, who just sort of bring the same cast together.
1: Yeah, his ensemble. It's, it's yeah. the
0: ensemble cast that's, that seems to be in everything together, which is Peter Koska, Yuri Sovac, and Vladimir Mensik.
1: I mean, that's the thing I noticed kind of peeking at their IMDb. They've got tons of credits. They were making films left and right apparently so there's a lot of stuff a lot of media out there if you get into that that era of films check new wave
0: i think the shooting and the editing and uh, the music all similar players who were involved in a lot of these different other films that sort of came out of this area all seem to sort of share a lot of the same films that they all worked on which is to be expected yeah and i have done for everything this season and maybe one last season i've started to give kind of a special recognition to somebody on the cast who doesn't normally get mentioned in, in anything when they're talking about films and so I am going to give my special recognition to three people. Okay. They are Jan Kalis, Milan Najedli, forgive me on that one, and Jiri Rumier. And they are noted in the credits for doing the special effects, which in Czech apparently is called tricky
1: tricky yeah the tricky um, they're the tricky gang the gang yeah but i mean for a 1977 film that looks like television there's quite a few um nice visual visual effects and camera i mean there's a little bit of pyro there's a little bit of um trying to think of the stunt work that happens a little later in the film but yeah all of it works really well like it's there's Nothing to nitpick. It doesn't feel like the low budget cobbled together movie. They they execute really well, especially on the main gag. So
0: we'll talk about some of the visual effects as we get into here. Yeah. You know, they are of their time. But yeah, you know, good on you guys for all the funness that you had a lot of work on this yeah. one to do.
1: I wonder what their production timeline was like. Oh like, I can't
0: imagine yeah. it was more than a few days. Pull it pull it together. We're gonna yeah. shoot it on Wednesday and it's gonna be done by Sunday, yeah. sort of a movie. It's possible. Well, okay. We might typically have more to talk about in this opening segment, but we really there isn't a lot out there about this film and about the stars. And so this is what we know. And hopefully you will bear with us as we go through and just enjoy this for what it is, which is a roller coaster ride of nonsense. As we talk about tomorrow, I will wake up and scald myself with tea in our feature presentation. As I mentioned, our feature presentation, of course, is Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and Scald Myself with Tea from 1971. And this thing starts even before the credits in this kind of interesting cold open.
1: They don't give you a title to tell you where you're at, but it looks sort of like a beach resort in a Cold War era look. It it may be South America. It
0: feels like South America only because they've got like an Inca-Cola sign or something like up above the hillside, which feels like it's maybe it's Brazil or Argentina, maybe. If yeah, we're talking but about. it doesn't
1: quite look right like it's it's very yeah. we, we don't get a lot of exteriors kind of for those establishing shots We yes. go
0: into the hotel really quickly i kind of wondered if it was argentina because of like the whole nazi connection that's coming i think
1: that's what that's, that's the what implication yeah exactly you're yeah. probably 77 they probably have already had some of tracking down some of those nazis in south america so that probably would have been top of mind for that audience yeah, yeah. and
0: so off this beach, we see, you know, the beach and everybody's having fun and wherever this place is. And near the beach is either a house or a hotel or some sort of building that's sitting over this thing where we meet our main character. Yes. His name is Jan. Um, I think he's also called John at certain points if you're reading the subtitles, but we're going to go with Yon. Yon is kind of just a normal-looking, regular old dude and uh, is standing there checking his watch.
1: The thing that struck me right off, he looks like Joe LaTrulia from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. Peter Boyle, uh, and I couldn't get out of my head (laughs) the whole time. I mean, he's supposed to be this dramatic lead in this Uh film. uh uh-huh. And at the top of the film, do we get the credit sequence yet? Not yet. Okay, okay, yeah, sir.
0: This is, yeah, we're going to get to the credit okay, sequence, yeah. trust me. Okay. <laughs> we don't know yet what kind of a film this is. We don't know if this is a drama or a comedy or anything, sort of walking into it blind. And like you said, we see Jan, uh, I think the last name is Boris, B-U-R-E-S, but Jan, standing there. He's waiting for something. There's a guy in a chair next to him in the waiting room who's asleep.
1: Yeah, it looks like a bum. Looks he's like a bum. We don't
0: know down. who that guy is yet. And here comes the first person that Jan is going to meet. His name is Klaus played by Jerry Sovak, who enters this room full of people that have been waiting for him while Jan is out in
1: the uh, lobby. Yeah, He sort of brings Jan into this group of elderly gentlemen who are all up there. I don't know. It's hard to gauge ages for me. Um, But yeah, they immediately start kind of throwing the Heil Hitler around. They do.
0: The the, the instant somebody walks into the room, there's all your Heil Hitlers and uh, we immediately establish that this is a room full of Nazis, Nazi sympathizers, whoever they may be, including a parrot.
1: Yeah, the parrot starts Mm -hmm throwing in some German as well. So um, I guess that's just the tropical. Like, it's not a Nazi parrot. It didn't come with them from Germany, did it? Like, I don't
0: know. It reminded me of the monkey from Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar gag. I lose track of people in this movie. I you, Forgive me for saying so, but there's a few of them that just I can't tell apart from one moment to the next, For having watched this only the once.
1: Klaus is the only one that really matters. Right. He's like we've got this mission. He's got a cohort of other fascist Nazi dudes with him that are all on board with this plan. And he introduces uh, their man inside, Jan, John.
0: And after everyone has heiled Hitler, after we have seen the parrot say whatever the parrot says, the plan that this movie is going to revolve around is introduced. And plan is very simple, sort of. The plan is that this group of people somehow is going to help Hitler retroactively win the Second World War, by presenting him with the hydrogen bomb.
1: That's the spin on the go back in time and kill Hitler sort of paradox. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's we're going to go back and help Hitler win the war. So. And you get no other information yet about what's going to
0: happen because we are immediately interrupted by the credit sequence. Yes. Now, when this hit and when... I tell people, after having seen this movie, about seeing this movie, this is what I tell them to go watch. Like you can skip the rest of the movie for the most part and you'll understand everything by watching this credit sequence.
1: Yeah, the tone immediately comes in. There's B-roll footage, your Third Reich B-roll, as you do, um, ramped and like reversed and just put together, edited very comically. To this music.
0: How wonderful is this?
1: I mean it's great. I mean you, it could be like a shaft movie, but then the little blings come in and it's very comedic. It's just very silly and irreverent. And uh, yeah, very funky. 1977.
0: And to that, as you mentioned, is not, you know, 70s dancers and things like that that you might expect. It's old war footage of Nazi Germany, but speed ramped in different directions to make them look like they're dancing and boomerang. Yeah. Yeah.
1: In a disconcerting way. I don't know, like at this point in time, how inundated we are with the nazi footage but in 77 and in Czechoslovakia i think that's you know we're undercutting nazis we're kind of making a mockery of them right off the bat but it is really unsettling there's like that one shot that it freeze frames on when the sequence ends of like the crazy lady's face of just that mania of like you know, Hitler doing his salutes and his speeches and everything and then the people around him. Um, and it was very, very nuts to me. Like it's it's unsettling, but the music definitely like has this weird veneer on it. It's very strange. You mean this music? Yeah.
0: That one. Yeah. Don't know
1: what to make of it, exactly. <laughs>
0: Oh, I'm going to keep playing that all the way through. (laughs) So that's the plan. We get the credits that sets up, this is not your normal movie. It's going to be a little wacky or it's going to be a lot wacky. And so now understanding that we have this sort of insane sounding plan and understanding that the film is going to feel a little wacky based on the credits, we come back to this scene that we just left, which has Klaus, our guy that's sort of in charge of everything in the, the Nazi fascist room, saying, hey, taking that hydrogen bomb back to Hitler, that's a really great idea. We're going to go do that. And we're going to use the, he uses the phrase travel Travel bureau. Bureau, We're going to use that. That's a great idea as well. And we find out pretty soon what the travel bureau refers to.
1: Yes. There's apparently commercial time travel available in this year. And at the top of the film, we don't get a exact precise year of when this is happening, but I'm guessing the Nazi dude say something about they mentioned taking time pills or some kind of pills to, like, make Anti- themselves... Anti-aging pills. The anti-aging pills, right? So they're probably in their 60s, 70s, but anti-aging pills maybe takes, like, 30 years off or something. So mid-90s, maybe 2000s, I don't know, but... <laughs> It's commercial time travel. It's right. It's what you do on your vacation.
0: So they're going to take advantage of commercial time travel, which we don't understand yet. We'll find out. But they're going to use it for bad purposes. There are some other people in this room. There's an engineer named Bauer. Um, this is uh, Vlastomil Brodsky plays Bauer. He's going to come into play here in just a little while. And... Right about that time, we get introduced to another character that is going to or is supposed to play a big role in all of this, which is Jan's brother, Carol. And we find out very shortly that Carol is not only the twin brother of Jan, but is also played by the same actor, Peter Koska.
1: The setup is uh, Jan's a pilot. He's the time travel pilot. And his brother, Carol, is the uh, engineer. It's the other way around. Jan's the engineer. Jan's the
0: one who helped test pilot the thing. And Carol is the pilot who's supposed to go on this mission. I thought
1: it was the other way around because Carol, he knows how to fly the plane. But when he goes into like the cockpit later, he doesn't know exactly what to do. So that's Jan. That's Jan. Yeah. Okay, I've mixed up their names. That's okay. They're very similar.
0: They're very similar. They look the same. They laugh alike. They talk alike. It's the Patty Duke of time travel movies.
1: Okay, so. So, oh, my God, we're (laughs) mixing this up. We're mixing it up.
0: The one who matters in this moment is Carol. Okay, Carol. Carol Carol is the pilot. Carol is the one who's down with Nazis. Yes. Carol is the one who, in this plan, whenever they go back in time, is supposed to be piloting the rocket ship. This is the part that we're now we're now starting to understand. To go back in time, you need a rocket. And there is a company called Universum that's built the rockets, is launched. As the rockets, whatever it may be, Carol works for them.
1: Back in Prague, so back in Prague. Uh, because yeah, they make the point that the Americans didn't invent it, and so the only place you can take this destination time travel is uh, over there in Prague. So. And
0: Carol's normal route, just like he was flying from Denver to Peoria or whatever, Carol's normal route in going back in time is to take people back to see the dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, right? And so this time around, not the dinosaurs, he is going to be going back in time to go see Hitler. We'll find out about that in a minute. We found out pretty. soon soon that Carol and Jan live together. Um, neither one are married at this point, And Carol, being a pilot, carries this code card in his pocket. And the code card does something that only pilots can do, which is When you go back in time so that you can't interrupt the timeline, the doors are locked. You go back as a passenger. You stay in the rocket. You look out the windows. You see what's happening. You cannot get out. The doors will not unlock from the outside unless there's somebody with a secret code key, and Carol has that.
1: The fix is in. He's ready to get paid. He is being a pilot, you know, the guy that sleeps around. He's got lots of women all over the place. And so, yeah, the contrast is set, especially once you get the two brothers in the room like together. So uh,
0: So there's a lot of questions, though around whether this will work. There's some people that are very confident that this plan is going to work and it's going to work ACES. Klaus is one of those. There are some people that are not as convinced about that. Bauer, the engineer, is one of those. And there's some questions asked among them like, okay, can you really go back in time to a very specific point What's the elbow room that you have to get where you're going to be? Bauer, who was at the beginning of the scene a little hesitant about the whole mission, though, is confident in the calculations and says, you know, I'm also a rocket pilot. I've done the calculations. I think we can land near the Fuhrer's headquarters and we can land there on December 8th, 1944, right before, you know, sort of the last push of the war that would lead to the demise of the Nazi regime, and we can go and help him then. And Klaus knows where they should go because we reveal that Klaus was a commanding officer under Hitler
1: yeah, and in the SSS bunker. Or something. Yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was hanging around doing very important things for Germany, as he says later. <laughs> We've been introduced to Klaus. We've been introduced to Bauer, the engineer.
0: We get now introduced to the third person besides the pilot that is supposed to go on this mission. And this is the guy who's been sleeping out in the waiting room, Rolf.
1: Sort of unsavory. I, I think of like Walter Matthau a little bit, but uh-huh. um, like he's wearing a suit, but it's much more modern. So he doesn't look like a, like a Nazi diehard. He looks kind of like a thug, I guess, just like a hired... He looks like a cab driver. With his hat and everything. Yeah. yeah. I guess he's involved for the payday. Like, I don't know, you know, you don't get... There's no ideology coming from him at all.
0: And I've tried to figure out why he's the third guy. and Maybe that's explained in there somewhere, but I, I never quite understood why he's the third guy, except maybe he's the muscle.
1: That's the closest I would I would slot him in there. Very take charge, level-headed uh, guy that you would need <laughs> when you're going back in time. <laughs> And there's a lot
0: of setup here, so we're going to go through the setup because you kind of have to understand it to get back. So we've said we need to go back to this date, December 8th, 1944. We think we can do that. We need to have this crew of four people, which are Klaus and Bauer. Bauer. Klaus and Bauer and Rolf. They're all going to go back as well as Carol, who's going to be the pilot. The third part of this is that in setting up and getting this nuclear device, which we learn has somehow been stolen from a museum in Washington, D.C. In America, yes. Yeah. yeah, and it's like a suitcase nuke. Yeah. Um, to get this suitcase, to get this briefcase onto the rocket, there's like this series of passcode phrases that have to be said in a certain order. And one person is going to say, suits should hang in closets. To which they should get the reply.
1: Put them where they belong then.
0: And if we get that, then we know we've handed it to the right person. It's gonna go to the right place and it's gonna eventually get on the rocket so that we can go back in time.
1: Yeah, like any conspiracy, you gotta have your code phrases and your passcodes, this basic security procedures, your ops.
0: So this is the plan. As we know, plans don't always go to plan, and this is going to be no different, but it does start the way that it is supposed to, with You know, they're sort of supposing about it in the room, but it transitions itself into the actual start of the plan itself, which is on May 31st, a day before they're supposed to leave on the rocket, they arrive in Prague.
1: We don't get a big transition there, but uh, everybody's there and they've got their suitcases and...
0: They're checking in, and the thing I found funny was they have off time. Yeah. And so we're going to go back in time and give the bomb to Hitler, but when we arrive in Prague, you got a few hours to yourself, and so they're going to go sightseeing.
1: Rolf's brought his camera with him to take some pictures and see the sights of a uh, wonderful Prague.
0: And he's going to drive around Prague, and, and I also use i guess as a getaway car a rental car that he has gotten this mercedes which we find out pretty soon has a trunk that doesn't stay closed so every time yeah. you you shut the passenger door it opens the trunk and so this will come back into play but for now it's just a silly gag
1: that's where i think the woody at allen like sleeper stuff started feel like real cuz we just had that room but then once we're out in the world all these little hitches are sort of coming out
0: so day before the 31st is just the day of arrival and the day that we go sightseeing june the 1st The following day is the day that everything is supposed to go down. And everything that's supposed to go down starts at Universum, this what appears to be kind of like an airport for these time travel rockets, right? Yeah. And we are first introduced to what in the hell this place is by, it was confusing at first, but I, I got it, a woman in sort of period Egyptian dress holding up her little flag and waving all of the passengers that are going to ancient Egypt to follow her into the cloakroom where they're going to change into similar outfits.
1: Yeah, because if you're going, I guess you're dressing um, in the period appropriate clothes, even if you're not getting off. Well, that
0: is one thing that I did not understand was we get this whole explanation about how you can't get out of the rocket, right. but everyone has to go to a cloakroom beforehand and change into period dress, but you're going to be sitting inside a rocket. With
1: the spacesuits on. With spacesuits on
0: in the middle of ancient Egypt. I think the rocket's going to give it away.
1: Yeah. I don't know. We don't get any real explanation of the time travel technology, but I'm like, (laughs) if there are there's just rockets flying around in back in time. I feel like that's going to cause a little hubbub. Maybe, it could. So. It could
0: because they're not only going to Egypt. We hear announcements on the loudspeaker that they're also going to the fall of the Bastille and some other place. And they're advertising them for like cheap prices. You can now go back and see, you know. Yes. In the midst of all of this chaos at the airport of people going to all these different places, there is this exchange with the passcode phrases that we've set up before.
1: Yeah, Rolf goes into kind of the little gate area, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, sits down. He's got a package, a big awkward package wrapped in paper with him. And as soon as he sits down, yeah, somebody, another airport employee kind of rolls up and uh, gives him the suits line.
0: To which he says, well, put them where they belong. And the porter walks away with this suitcase, which we know is supposed to contain the bomb.
1: Well, this, the Nazi uniforms. I That's what yeah, it was. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The porter's stashing them in this like storage area. I guess it's on the rocket. You don't quite get one to one with some of the location transitions, but he goes and takes them, sticks them on a shelf somewhere and then Rolf heads back out to his car. Where right. His I trunk get doesn't work.
0: Thus the line about suits belonging closets. Mm. And stuff.
1: Okay. Yes, I'm with you now. Right. So we're hiding
0: Nazi uniforms as well as nuclear bombs uh, in order to make this thing work, okay, great. There is a phone call made from this porter who has taken the uniforms and put them where they belong. Yes. And that phone call is made to Carol. To Carol. The twin brother the of The brother, yeah. Yep. Wakes him up, lets him know that everything is going to plan, and there's sort of the morning routine happening at Jan and Carol's apartment as Carol is secretly getting ready for his mission of which Jan is unaware.
1: Jan is getting dressed and he's very a fastidious guy. He's making breakfast for his brother. I think he complains about not paying rent. I mean, it's obvious. Like it's the odd couple. Because Carol is just in his pajamas. His hair is all messed up. He's obviously had a late night with the ladies, something of that nature. So.
0: Mm-hmm. And in making breakfast, Jan is, of course, making tea. Yes. And it is from this making breakfast sequence that Jan is going to have his moment of accidentally not paying attention, talking to Carol or whatever it is, and pouring hot water over his own hand and scalding himself
1: scalding himself we get the title and then he gives his brother the breakfast but he bandages it up pretty quickly and
0: And washes up the dishes
1: the dishes thing was that's the first part where i guess you get a little tease of the near future everything else has looked pretty grounded not space agey there's the concept of time travel in this bureau, uh, travel bureau, but he puts the dishes into the sink and then uh, there's a jug of like detergent or something right beside it and he pours it over and it just starts bubbling and dissolves everything in the sink apparently. Pretty neat. No pollution. Uh, Yeah, dissolves the plates and all. The plates. There was silverware in there. I guess everything's uh, recyclable. Shout out to the Tricky crew for uh, making that one happen. The bubbles. So
0: he has the dishes on to wash. He scalded himself with tea. Jan goes back into the bedroom to deliver the breakfast to Carol while Carol is eating Jan is nagging him about the money for the rent you need to help me out here you need to pay the rent Carol is like you gonna bug me so much about this I'll pay it a year in advance Jan tells him well if you've got all of this money hanging about which you seem to now from I don't know where don't tell me you have some debts to this other guy that you need to be paying I think his name is Krupa and oh by the way don't you have a girlfriend that maybe you should be marrying or thinking about marrying named Ava? Just a lot of things that Carol needs to be doing that he isn't because he's such a lazy lass.
1: Yeah, he has got Eva apparently on the hook to get married pretty soon and uh, yeah, we don't get a lot of details about who Cooper is and why he owes, owes him the money, but you know, it's very much that Jan is the good brother and the one that's paying attention and Carol is not. He's just living life to the fullest, I guess.
0: Speaking of not paying attention. Jan gets tired of the conversation or is in the midst of the conversation and just needs to go do something else, goes back to the kitchen. And it's during this time that he is in the kitchen cleaning up that Carol, who is laughing at Jan, ha ha, you silly person who feels like you have to do everything right in life, starts to choke on a breakfast roll.
1: On a roll, yeah. I mean, I guess he just shoved the whole roll into his (laughs) mouth and then he starts flopping around the, the bed and, you know, his death is terrible but comedic. He's just laying there choking.
0: Which Jan discovers in the midst of Carol choking, apparently does not know the Heimlich or the Heimlich wasn't invented or whatever's yeah, going on. Yeah, 1977,
1: I don't know. 77,
0: I don't know. But... His inclination is not to, you know, beat on the guy's chest or back or anything. It's to run several houses down, yeah. up five flights of stairs, and to go find the doctor.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate because the role did uh, Carol in pretty quickly there.
0: Yeah, doctor gets there and is like, I got nothing I can do. It's I'm-
1: been half an hour, <laughs>
0: dude. What's happening? All I can do for you is I can write out the death certificate, I think is what the doctor yeah. says. And then ask Jan, okay, so which one of you died? Yeah, this is confusion. Further proving that no one can tell them apart.
1: That was the thing about that sequence. Like, that's the first time, I guess, we, we get the split-screen effect, and you know, having seen it in um, plenty of, uh, there's like 90 sitcom sort of setups or something like where, that. Where the Evil character
0: twin. gets to stand next to themselves. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It is done really well. I mean, I think their eye lines match the whole way through, and uh, yeah, sort of take it for granted, right? But it worked really well in that sequence in the bedroom when he brings him the breakfast. I don't think there were any spots where there was, like, body doubles, and that particular sequence. I guess it would have been when he tried to save him, but he really is like face down on the bed at that
0: point. Yeah, so. I did notice that it is done well yeah. in terms of not being able to see the stitch, you know, in the screen of where the, the two halves are and all, them being able to match eyeline all the way through. It's, it's done well.
1: A nice complex background too. Like I was yeah. like looking for like if you were doing it on the cheap, you'd have like a real linear sort of definition to break your frame so that you could stitch it real easily. But this is just like in the bedroom and they're crossing the room room a lot of times so it's nuts
0: jan has discovered carol the doctor has gotten back and proven that carol is dead yes checked Mm -hmm. him is writing out the death certificate right at that moment this person that has been mentioned previously ava yes who is carol's girlfriend hoping to be fiance right calls to say hello and Jan feels like he needs to break the news to her so says that there's some terrible news to which he doesn't get to tell her immediately he tells her mother
1: right because she just gets so upset she passes the phone off without receiving any of the information this is
0: Krupa this is Mrs. Krupa so we know that Carol owes money to Mr.
1: Krupa yes whoever the Krupas are whatever their gig is because later I was just like what are these people
0: (laughs) (laughs) trust me we're going to talk about that because that is weird But, but, but yes there's a family called the Krupa's. Ava is the daughter. He tells the mother that there's some terrible news. Mrs. Krupa stops Jan and says, it better not be anything that's happened bad because Ava will throw herself off the the balcony.
1: It's like, yeah, suicide immediately. Um, (laughs) Just no bad news. This is terrible. Like, how do you wake up in life and that's (laughs) the way you go?
0: Especially not any news about Carol.
1: Yes, because she's so in love with him.
0: And so Jan makes the decision in that moment in the presence of the doctor who doesn't yet know whose death certificate he's writing out to say that Carol is fine, Jan, that he, yeah. Jan, talking on the phone right now, is Carol, and Jan... Jan has choked on the roll. Jan's yeah. choked on a roll. To which the doctor is then able to write out a death certificate that Jan has died.
1: He made that decision very quickly, and (laughs) it snowballed immediately, yeah.
0: So he has taken on a false identity. This is the premise that will guide his existence from here forward, is he is living as his brother and pretending that he himself, Jan, has died by choking on a roll.
1: He, now he's got a potential fiancé. When Carol and Jan were talking a little earlier, there was that setup of like, oh, you like Eva, you could have her for yourself or something like that. So it, you, you, you get a hint that maybe, okay, Jan wishes that he could be more like his brother because obviously he's got all the girls. They play that really well so that he seems to go with it really quickly. But he's never, he doesn't get upset his brother has choked. Like he's no. not, he doesn't get emotional at all.
0: There's no emotion really That the brother is gone. It's more a, oh, goodness, what do I do? I got
1: to tell people. I I got to tell people. He
0: couldn't care less that the brother is gone, it seems. Ava isn't the only one who calls in this moment. As Carol is being trucked away in his coffin, the phone rings. And on the other end of the phone is Klaus, Klaus yeah. Who is calling for Carol, who is now dead, and ends up instead talking to Jan, who is pretending to be Carol.
1: When he wants to confirm everything is going to planned, and so uses our are the suits hanging in the closets, to which Yon now, Carol ends up just yeah. He looks over. They're in the closet. Everything's good to go. Yeah, he
0: doesn't know that that's a passphrase. He just looks over to see that Carol's suits are hanging in the closet. Yeah. Yep,
1: they are. There's another pass code about the armchairs or something. We're not privy to what that
0: means. We ever. don't know.
1: I think it's just a simple arms guns. I don't know. Like
0: are the armchairs in the den or whatever where the they're thing supposed is. to be? Yeah. yeah.
1: That's the thing. If you're gonna do like secret passphrases, you can't do something that's just like any stranger off the street would just say the right thing because that sort of defeats the purpose. It's got to be the Narwhal bacon's at midnight or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Jan has no idea what he's answering. He has answered that the suits are in the closet. He's answered that the armchairs are in the den. On Klaus's end of the phone, everything seems tip top. Yeah, we're getting we're the answers that we want, right? Yeah. So that works out for the moment. Jan then has to call into his own work as Carol to let them know that Jan has died and won't be coming in anymore. He seems to be wanting to live as Carol or planning to live as Carol indefinitely.
1: He immediately goes and puts on the pilot's uniform and gets that shiny pass card yep. um, and loads up and changes his watch.
0: And finds a lot of money in, oh, in yeah. Carol's pocket. Yeah, yeah. Which references back to Carol saying, I'll pay everything right now.
1: Doesn't seem too curious about where the money's come from. Like, he's just like, oh, this is a lot of bills. So I don't <laughs> yeah. know what, what's, especially if the debt, like, I don't know. There's a lot of like. There's loose ends. There's not a lot of thought here. Jan's just flying by the seat of his pants. Um, you just kind of go
0: with it. Yeah. And where we go with it is back to Universum. Yeah. So at Universum, Jan, now pretending to be Carol in the flight uniform and everything, shows up in the airport, not really knowing what he is supposed to do, just knowing that he needs to be there in order for the whole ruse for him to be Carol to work. When he arrives, another pilot pulls him aside and asks him for the money that he owes from the last poker game that they had.
1: Not the only person that Carol owes some money to, but he's got And money. who can mistake Jan for Carol? Yeah, I mean, they're identical twins. They're identical. Sure. So Why was, not? Yeah. It works in
0: soap operas. It can
1: work yes, here. Exactly.
0: There's another thing that happens in this moment that will come back later. There's this older woman who shows up, asks where she could lodge a complaint. Jan, not knowing this airport, points her in the wrong direction, and is chastised immediately by this woman named Marquetta, who is this fellow employee who we don't understand the relationship yet, but we will in just a moment. She basically drags him into, it's not an anteroom, but just somewhere where there's not any other people. It's just the two of them together. She asks him for a cigarette. He says, I don't smoke. She says, since when? Yeah, yeah. You're a chain smoker.
1: You're acting weird.
0: You're acting weird. And she asks what he's done to his hair, because I think... It's a little neater, Right. Jan has actually combed his hair versus Carol, who may not, and lets him know, Jan, who she thinks is Carol, lets him know that her husband, Robert, who we have not met yet, knows about them. So the implication is they've had some sort of affair. Robert knows about it and has said the next time that he sees Carol, he is going to mess him up. So you need to be careful. (laughs) Yeah, and shows him a bruise, I think, on her own face that Robert has gotten rough with her about it to prove the point. He then says, okay... Well, then we're going to break up. We shouldn't have this relationship anymore. To which she won't. She's upset. (laughs) And grabs him and basically throws him across the table and climbs on top of him to kiss him. Which right at that second, the door opens and in comes Carol's boss, Mr. Rusek.
1: He comes in, I mean, he's very much familiar, I guess, with Carol's shenanigans and things. So uh, Marquetta gets sent out of the room.
0: Yeah, and she kind of plays it off like he was attacking her, coming on to her or, you know, cornering her when, in fact, she was doing it It to him and kind of gives him the wink on the way out the door like, well, I saved us. (laughs) But Rusek is upset with Carol or basically, sexually harassing everybody on the staff over time. You need to knock this off or you're going to be out of here. Jan, as Carol, tells him. You might forgive me today, my brother just died.
1: Yes, he choked on a roll. He choked uh, on a he roll. He choked on a roll. And so, yeah, the boss man kind of admonishes him. you got to straighten up and fly right, man. Like, And this is the boss, too. Like, Jan is going
0: to tell, or Carol, is going to tell people over the course of the day that his brother has died. And no one is really going to react much to it. No. My brother died. Oh, really? How did he die? By choking on a roll. Oh,
1: I don't know, maybe this weird future the people are way less sentimental about life and death. Who knows?
0: Well, Mr. Rusek, really all he cares about is telling Carol that he no longer will have his brother to come and kind of pull him out of the fire. You know, you're not going to have anybody to save you next time. That's the thing that I take away from this situation, me as Mr. Rusek. Jan, being Jan, says that I can be better. Tomorrow I will be different.
1: He wants to have the day off. He needs to go talk to Eva.
0: Yeah, I got to go talk to my girlfriend and Mr. Rusek. Let's it.
1: Yeah. Everybody with us
0: so far? It's, you're,
1: you're... it's a lot of setup. This is like 45 <laughs> minutes into the film. We, we're, we're taking the slow roll on the actual time travel. Um... We
0: really, really are. The rules of the road have to be established, and those rules are as long as a dictionary. Yes. Yeah. But we sort of understand the rules sort of at this point, which allows us then to start playing a few things out. One of those things is Jan pretending to be Carol, which we just did. The second of which is understanding and playing out the relationship between Carol and Ava. And so Jan as Carol goes to Ava's apartment building buys some flowers from a flower vendor out front. Who seemed like she knew him? There is a connection there.
1: We will see her again, but she makes some sort of like more personal comment about you're buying roses than stranger buying roses would be, it seemed like.
0: Yeah, and he's buying seven of them for luck, I think is the recurring phrase. He buys flowers, even though Carol may not have ever bought flowers. Takes them up to the roof, yeah. which I guess is penthouse, wherever, yeah, yeah. The, the penthouse. And it's not even the penthouse; it's the roof, roof. Yeah, it is like, the roof, roof. We're like we're like on the roof of the building, and the first thing that happens, stepping out onto the roof of the building for whatever reason, he's up there, is he gets a knife thrown at his head.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. The introduction here to Eva's family, uh, the Krupas. Yeah,
0: the Krupas, which are are. Did they ever really say? I mean, they appear to be circus performers. right?
1: I sort of had a vibe of like the Flying Walendos or something like that, like some group of daredevils or something. But uh, there's the older brother is the guy that has thrown the knife. Yeah, Peter.
0: I think they they later say his name might be. But he's been throwing a knife at a target. Jan has just happened to walk behind the target, but almost (laughs) gets hit. Mr. Krupa immediately recognizes, not Jan, recognizes him as Carol and says, oh, Oh, Come on up here. Mrs. Krupa is here as well. She's so happy to see you. Hug, 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 hug. Jan, being Jan, having found the money in the jacket pocket earlier and knowing that Carol owes money, money to yeah. Mr. Krupa, figures he'll take advantage of being there that day and pay off the debt.
1: Which puts him in. I, he doesn't seem in the bad graces. If he was Carol entering the scene, there didn't seem like a would be a major threat that these were criminal circus performers, but they're all really lovey and, you know, warms to him immediately and he's got the flowers.
0: What he doesn't realize is the reason Carol has not paid back the dad, Mr. Krupa, is because he has told Mr. Krupa previously that he would pay him back all of the money one week prior to marrying Ava. So whenever Jan hands over the money, That Carol owed Mr. Krupa takes it in that way
1: yes we're gonna have this engagement happening yeah
0: and a week from
1: today you're going to marry
0: Ava and before Jan can say anything Mr. Krupa calls Ava over and tells her
1: yeah and she's of course thrilled Mm -hmm. and everybody's happy and uh,
0: except for Jan
1: yeah well he just he's digging himself in deeper here yeah and so the plot thickens
0: we go back to Universum we hear a bit more of this sort of funny background over the intercom stuff talking about you know how we're we're Used to be flights being late today uh, and delayed and things like that. That the flight from Alexander the Great is what three seconds late? late,
1: Yeah, imprecise science. Right, can't quite calculate it.
0: So this is where the sort of plotters for this. We come back to the yeah the Nazis. Yeah, the Nazis. Rolf, uh, one of the three that's supposed to go back, is late. He's not there. And Jan is also, late. Jan has has, Mm -hmm. uh, Carol. Carol is supposed to be there because he's going to pilot this rocket. Rolf is supposed to be there because he's going to be one of the passengers. When Jan does arrive, he's told that someone is waiting for him at the bar. Mm -hmm. That someone turns out to be all of the plotters. Yeah,
1: they're hanging.
0: Expecting that Carol will know who they are. Yes. But when Jan as Carol wanders into the bar, he has no idea where they are that he's even supposed to be looking for them and wanders right back in.
1: Right, he just kind of makes a circuit of the room, doesn't see anybody. It's interesting. I guess if he was being Carol, he would expect somebody to jump up and accost him if uh-huh. they were waiting for him. Uh-huh. But uh, he doesn't make an effort. He just kind of swoops, I'm out.
0: <laughs> but in doing so, two of the three plotters go, uh, We What's, I don't know that we can trust this weird. dude. Yeah, he's, he's a little weird. Klaus, on the other hand, thinks it's a stroke of genius that Carol is playing the part well and really disassociating himself from them so as to throw everybody else off the scent.
1: Very four-dimensional chess there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right,
0: exactly. Klaus takes Jan his briefcase, so catches yes. up to him in the hallway somewhere, which I, I'm assuming is the bomb.
1: That is what I'm thinking, the bomb. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: Sir. So that's the bomb. It's given to Carol in the hallway, Jan Carol in the hallway. He accepts it, takes it into the crew quarters. So we've gotten it out of the main airport. We've gotten it sort of behind the scenes into the crew quarters, and... At that point, then Klaus is doubly satisfied that everything is going to plan. He's
1: a guy, yeah. The <laughs> suits are in the closet. The armchairs are where they're supposed to be, and now the present for De Freer is in the ship, sir. So.
0: It's sitting still in the changing room. Oh, the changing room, which okay. is where Jan is currently getting into his spacesuit and all of that. But before he can get completely into his spacesuit and onto the rocket. Remember before whenever Marquetta pulled him into the room and kissed yeah. him and said her husband Robert was looking for him? Yeah. Robert's found him.
1: He shows up and he's, you know, laying it down. He knows what's going on. It's going to be dull in here or you're going to need to get some new teeth here.
0: They don't get into the fight right that second. I no. think uh, Robert is saying when you come back.
1: Exactly. I'll be waiting for you as soon as you land that rocket. Yon then
0: is able to take the briefcase, not get his teeth knocked out, is able to head to the rocket and board the rocket, carrying the briefcase, okay? When he does that, he's not the only person trying to board the rocket. Of course, our plotters are going to try to board the rocket. But also, so is a couple of other people, a husband and a wife who they have names, Patrick and Shirley, but I'm just going to call them the American. The
1: American couple shows up. Yes. The um, American couple speaking Czech. Czech. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of language. Uh, we don't we don't do a lot of lifting on like having people speak actual languages. Uh-huh. But yeah, they come in. They're immediately sort of loud and obnoxious. I think we find out where they're from Chicago or something. Yep.
0: yep so. From Chicago that they are going on this rocket to see the dinosaurs. Yeah. The wife, Shirley is effusive and demanding and very American. Yes, yeah. And the husband is very sort of milk toast, uh, whatever you say, dear, and uh, very dry in whatever yeah, humor yeah. he gives.
1: Kind of a little more British to me. Like there was some phrasing in his subtitles mm-hmm. that uh, was a
0: little more British. And they also have a briefcase, suitcase-looking oh, yeah, just... thing, which is taken aboard the rocket to further confuse the issue.
1: Yeah, when Jan, as Carol, gets on the ship, I think a porter or somebody takes it and sticks mm-hmm. it in this, like, it's not the overhead compartment, but it's the rocket ship version of the overhead. And then And Shirley's. sticks both of the
0: similar looking cases next to each yeah, other.
1: Yeah, Shirley's goes in like right next to it. Yeah. Yes.
0: And so as Jan then, not having flown this route, he's flown, he knows how to fly rockets because he's a right. test pilot or whatever, but not having flown this route or flown normally like Carol would, Jan is stepping into and going through all the procedures that you would to launch the rocket, but understanding none of them. And so the people that are helping him are like, uh, you need to give us the pass card. Uh, you need to do this next. And he's like, oh, okay, great. And it's sort of told what to do, which is how he manages to get through that process.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe Carol's just used to coming to work drunk, and they've had to walk him through, like, his uh, objectives in the past, and they're just like, oh, this Carol guy again. So, yeah, they just gives them the starter, like a hardware key type for the rocket ship. Which Um,
0: you must have in order for the rocket to launch. You cannot launch a rocket without that. That is important.
1: So you have the door key, to get out of the racket right. and the starter key. These very s- specific <laughs> stop gaps here for the plot. Oh, this is like
0: a first year screenwriting student writing a complicated plot. There is a separate device for each individual action.
1: I mean, setting up gags and it's doing it pretty quickly, but it is sort of like pulling teeth. I mean, that's the runway up to the time travel. It feels like more than half the
0: movie. We haven't even left the present day and there's still other things to do in the past.
1: The only thing that's happened is Carol has died. That's
0: right. (laughs) By choking on a roll. Yes. Which we think is yawn. Yeah. Okay. We've got Jan on board the aircraft. He's in the cockpit. We've got the Americans who have boarded and they are being strapped into their seats inside the rocket. The last two arrive are our three plotters and they show up to discover, unbeknownst to them, that they are not on this rocket alone, that they're the Americans are here as well.
1: Klaus is not happy. He Klaus is, is not happy
0: and they make a stink about it. We're supposed to have a private rocket. There is the flight attendant whose name is Helena, and Helena corrects them and very politely says, no, gentlemen, these other people, they paid for tickets as well, and so they're going to be on this flight with you. And the plotters can't stop. They have to keep going, but they're very, very unhappy that they're not there alone. And they write it off to to maybe Carol having messed things up.
1: I mean, he's... Done so good so far. Yeah, this is the first time I think Klaus is doubting his man here, Carol. Okay.
0: All of that was set up to being able to launch a rocket this is the moment where we actually get to launch a rocket and so you would think that the procedure would be terribly complicated or that there would be some large lead up but not really no. <laughs> Jan as Carol basically inserts his starter thing into the rocket punches a couple of buttons and boop yeah. rocket launches like an ICBM out of one of these complexes of like you know five or eight uh, rockets yeah yeah
1: that looked very Dr. Strange love, like just the setup there with these nice matte shots and everything so
0: mm-hmm. where they're all sitting there's only like five chairs in the whole thing anyway they're sort of dentist chair you know reclining chairs and everybody's strapped into them it's nice and quiet
1: i don't even know if helena like had a jump seat like she's just standing around yeah she's
0: just chilling while the rocket is going up into space i don't know but they do get to space yeah the space that they get to this is where we come back to the Tricky Crew. Yeah. And it's like, you know, if, if you used to watch Lost in Space mm. or if you're or something like that, it's that level yeah, of Yeah, this is where
1: space. some of these things start feeling very Doctor Who to me, like yeah. the very BBC kind of quality to the level of effects that are happening.
0: This shot gets reused a lot. Yeah. The rocket kind of makes its way up into the black backdrop with a couple of stars on it and begins to glow. Yeah. And that is our indication as an audience that whatever's going on to take them back in time is happening and the first time this happens we get one of my favorite parts of the entire movie What's that? we feel like we're about to get an explanation of how this whole process oh, works, works. Yeah. and this is surely the American asking out loud how is it that this technology works that we're able to go into the past and see the dinosaurs and you go oh good we get to know this to which her husband quickly replies just leave it to the company they know what they're doing Yeah, exactly. and that's it that's how we get around explaining how in the hell time travel works
1: yeah There's no, like, swirly effects or anything. It's very simple and straightforward, and we just hand-wave it away. And he's just like,
0: don't ask. They know what they're doing, don't ask, which I love that. So in the rocket, you've got the plotters, Klaus, Rolf, and Bauer. Mm. They are not happy with what they see, who they think is Klaus doing with the rocket, right? He didn't get them on there alone.
1: Well, they asked to, I guess right after they get into space, yeah. they asked to go into the cockpit, right? Right.
0: They asked to go into the cockpit, Jan, knowing that that's not procedure, yeah. tells them, no, they can't do that. They need to stay in their seat. So that's strike two yeah. against him, or potentially strike three as far as they're concerned.
1: The thing about when the Klaus is like, I want to see the captain. I like tell the captain I would like to see him in the cockpit yeah. or whatever. And there's this silly, like, the little video screen where she tries to call the captain, and then he's like, no, that's not procedure. And then she just kind of, like, shrugs weirdly (laughs) and on that little screen. She's like, eh. And then there's, like, sorry, dude, no. And then Jan's like, hey, I want some coffee. So she goes and opens the door.
0: Yeah, she opens the door to bring him coffee, which gives the plotters an opening to sort of push her aside and push their way into the cockpit to get in there with Klaus, which is where they wanted to be in the first place. Yeah, they
1: pulled some guns, so I'm thinking that was what the armchair line was Uh maybe there was a box of guns somewhere as well but gotcha cut for time
0: Bauer still thinks that Klaus Jan is acting weird. There's still yeah. something off to Bauer about what's going on here. Shirley, on the other hand, she's, is enjoying everything that's going on. She's loving the excitement. This is part of the package. Yes. So the plotters determining that...
1: would they throw Jan out because Bauer can drive. Bauer can... Right.
0: They de- yeah, do right. The they, de- they determine that whatever's happening in the cockpit is not what should be happening. And so they take over the cockpit and Bauer is flying. And while he's flying, everybody else is putting on Nazi coats.
1: Can you remember, did they like secure them? I guess they just had guns on them. I don't remember anybody getting tied up.
0: Or no, anything. I think that's yeah. what it was. It was just don't come near us. Yeah. They force Jan, I guess, at gunpoint to turn over this code card that he's been carrying around, the one that will open, open the, the rocket door, yeah. on the other side. The plotters take their anti aging pills. I never quite matched up why we needed anti aging pills as we're going back in time with this.
1: It's your regular daily regimen. Like, you can't miss, don't miss your medications. That's it's true. like, yeah. okay. So they just, you know, it's like your vitamins. You got to keep taking your vitamins.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the plotters, beep, 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 put in the date that they're trying to go to, which is not the dinosaurs, which no. is 1944, sure. December 8th, 1944. The rocket then comes out of glowing in space, lands back on Earth, and Mm. boom, they get to the ground. This is where the plotters announce to everyone on board, I think, that they are now in 1944, during World War II, in Nazi Germany. This is where we are now. Bauer takes the starter out of the cockpit so that they can't escape while all of these guys are gone. And then the plotters open the door and Take off. G- grab, the briefcase oh, yeah. grab the briefcase and step out into Nazi Germany.
1: They've got their whole Nazi regalia on and um Klaus has got his little eye monocle they, they look Clink. very they look very German. Yes, yeah, so they're very Nazi ready to go. Yeah, and I guess they uh, have the key too. So yeah, they have the, the, they key. have the starter key and the yeah. door
0: key, which Jan quickly determines that there is no starter there, so there's no escaping and leaving these guys behind. Helena, not knowing that Carol is actually yeah. Jan, is like, they said you were a conspirator with them. Like, so why you're are all they tr- chummy with you? Those Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why are they doing that? And Jan's like, I don't know, dude. It's a mystery. It's, we'll never know. And Helena makes an observation that Carol. Carol is acting a little bit like his brother today. Different,
1: yeah. Jan says, no, Jan died. He choked on a roll. He
0: choked on a roll. The choked on a roll It's It's, it's, You
1: can't leave any mystery as to how he died.
0: It is never said that someone just dies. It is said that he died because he choked on a roll. Yes. You you have to. Okay, so we're back in time. Rocket has landed. The fascists are out wandering around with their Nazi brethren in uniform, and they have to figure out a way to get from where they are at the rocket to where Hitler is, where they need to deliver. Deliver this bomb. And so the way that they do that, here comes a Nazi officer vehicle down the road. They stop the vehicle. They look like other officers or maybe even uh, superior officers. And they ask what day it is. And the Nazi officer in the back seat tells them, oh, it's December 8th. And they're like, great. And they disable this Nazi officer and the driver with a can of spray.
1: Yeah, this is, I guess, more of our futuristic technology for 1990s Nazi fascist dudes. Uh, Yeah, he pulls out that little small can, small, tiny aerosol.
0: Like old deodorant spray. Yeah,
1: very small, uh, very strange. And it's bright green, like crazy, like cartoon crocodile green, kind of, and just Pops him and it goes into like stop motion and the makeup just sort of like, and he's, now he's all green. He turns green like a
0: lizard and is incapacitated. We don't know if he's dead or not, but he's petrified. In, he's kinda, petrified, yeah. which lets them pull him out of the car and kind of chuck him to the side of the road. <laughs> the road this right. green log of a person that yeah. he now is and take over the car. the car. The Nazis drive the car to the base that Klaus knows where it is because he used to work there. Right, right. Doing it
1: very important work.
0: And okay, that's how they get to the base. While they are making their way into the base, which I think Klaus is using his old
1: passport or something. Yeah. yeah. As they
0: are going through security to get into the bunker. We are let into the bunker as an audience for the first time to come face to face with not just the giant war room that's in there where we've got a lot of recognizable, if you're familiar with history, sort of recognizable Nazi high ups who are talking about Pearl Harbor at the time. We'll get to that one. They're talking about Pearl Harbor, but we are also put in the presence of Adolf Hitler. And we find out real quickly the reason why. And we'll talk about the guy who plays Hitler, Frontasek Vicenza and his portrayal of Hitler in this. But Hitler is excited in that moment. Right. Japan's joined the
1: war. Japan has joined the
0: war. Pearl Harbor has happened. Japan has joined the war. Tomorrow, Germany is going to declare war on the United States. And that is going to, you know, since they've conquered most of Europe at this point already, this is going to complete what they need to do in order to take over the world.
1: If you don't put it together with all of those little details, then you get a shot of the calendar. And it is December 8th. It is December 8th. But
0: it's December 8th, 1941. Right. So three years off. It isn't an exact science, this whole rocket transport thing. Yes, so that is where we are. Our plotters don't know this yet.
1: Yeah, they have not arrived.
0: But we as an audience know they have gone to the wrong place. What can happen when you go back in time to Nazi Germany three years too early? I guess we'll find that out when we get back. Hey, Subgenre listeners, this is Josh Dassel, host of the show you're listening to and founder of Kabunki, the company behind it all. If you listen to many podcasts, I do, then, you know, at this point or somewhere around here, you expect to hear a commercial or two, you know, ads. This is the time when we hear companies who support a podcast speak directly to their audience. So why aren't you hearing one now? Because this space is still available. Have a business, organization, product, or cause you need to promote? Ask Kabunki how to get your ads in front of our global audience of listeners today. The audience knows about movies, they know about pop culture, and soon they could know about you too. Support this podcast and advertise on subgenre or other popular shows brought to you by Kabunki. Ask us more on the show website, subgenrepodcast.com or at kabunki.com. Kabunki, leave your mark. This is Subgenre. You are listening to me and N.C. Jones talking about Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and Scald Myself with Tea from 1977. This is a weird one.
1: It is uh, a strange one. Yeah, I believe I would have never come across it on my own had you not introduced me to it here.
0: We'll see at the end of this whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that he introduced yeah, you yeah, to Yeah,
1: no judgment oh. right now.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. But uh, before we get any further into this thing, let's geek out. <laughs> awesome. So because we are dealing with one of these situations in movies, or many of these situations in this movie that are just kind of silly. I want to talk about one of them in particular, an actor playing themselves as their own twin, which, you know, you see this in a lot of movies, you see it in a lot of TV shows, but I don't know that we ever really sit down and analyze why do we do that in certain places and where it's done well and where it's not done so well. So I'm kind of curious of the ones that come to mind for you, what sticks out both for better and for worse?
1: Probably the first version of that would be the classic The Parent Trap. Oh, Um, sure and not the remake with Lindsay Lohan. I am old enough that I, I wasn't around for the original, original um, Haley Mills. Haley Mills. But I did see it, see it growing up on Disney Channel. But that has its own special place. I think ones that jump to mind like, that I do appreciate, it's probably The Prestige, probably my favorite uh-huh. Nolan film, and Christian Bale. And sorry, spoilers, if you, <laughs> <laughs> you haven't watched The Prestige. <laughs> That's a little bit of a spoiler. But you should definitely check it out. Um, So Christian Bale does it really well. I want to take you back for a second okay. when you were talking about The Parent Trap. The parent Trap, yeah. Right. Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan. Was, yeah, the Lindsay Lohan one, yeah. Right, was 98,
0: I think. Yeah, okay. I'd never seen it, I didn't really realize. Did you know that she played twins again? In a sequel to The Parent Trap? No. Apparently in 2007, there was a movie called I Know Who Killed Me. It's like a psychological thriller where she's playing twins. And I it's <laughs> playing
1: twins once... You get in your career? Type, typecast as playing your own twin. That's Unless it's a
0: sequel, what are you doing?
1: I yeah, I would wonder from an actor or performer's point of view, like, is that one of those, like, media roles? I get to do, like, two versions. I mean, they're two separate characters or, like, how you would approach it. It would be, <laughs> like, that's my Oscar, mate. I get to do two. I get to do two. <laughs> I get paid twice, right? Like you i get play, paid twice. Do I get paid twice?
0: Around that same time, like, just before Parent Trap, a couple of years before, I guess it wasn't even twins, it was, like more than that but was Michael Keaton in multiplicity oh
1: yeah 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 that one's a great one
0: yeah I enjoyed those performances I mean a because it's Michael Keaton and in my eyes he can almost do no wrong right but that was a really well done movie I thought
1: yeah it was I think I that one that I probably could revisit as I get into the nostalgia for those 90s films but uh yeah, Keaton in a comedy role is always a good bet. In a dramatic role, he's usually, usually good. I've been watching Dead Ringers, the reboot of that Cronenberg film, which Rachel Weisz does a pretty amazing job with that. Only knew a little bit about the original. I don't think I ever caught that one. Have you, have you never seen that? Of the original. Oh there.
0: my goodness. I had don't think I have seen it in a very long time, but I worked at a video, I think I've said this before, I worked yeah. at a video store in the 90s, and Dead Ringers came out in '88, but Dead Ringers was a consistent rental because oh, it's yeah. so messed up. It
1: is. I mean, well, it's Cronenberg, so yeah. not not a surprise if you're familiar with his work. I
0: think one of my favorite treatments of twins in a movie, both on screen and how it was treated off screen, is Nicolas Cage in adaptation.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. I, I was I was hoping that was where you're going with that. Yeah. Because, because he
0: plays himself really well, like two very different versions, versions of himself. Yeah but then they took it beyond that and actually gave him a credit as two people in the film.
1: That one in particular rings true. Like they seem like very distinct people. I think looking at this film, there's a little bit of a difference, but there's not a lot of nuance, I guess, in the performance. No, one of them
0: choked feel, on a roll, and the yes, other one did. Uh, that's
1: true. I guess we didn't really get a full version of Carol to understand it. But yeah, Nicolas Cage does like that sibling relationship. That film in particular is just like I have younger brothers that are twins. Uh, that do is, you? I yeah, didn't know that they are twins I am not a twin but the younger brothers Bart and Brett yeah
0: identical fraternal No, fraternal okay. fraternal okay. very
1: different though yeah so there's no
0: Jan Carroll situation they're, that's they're, coming about they're there.
1: not changing places with each other no copy that I feel like it's sort of right around that
0: late 80s time period where these twin movies were very popular. We haven't even talked about twins.
1: Yeah, no, well, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's not
0: an actor playing themselves, but just the fact that there was a movie, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and DeVito, I don't even remember what year that was, but it was basically late 80s, right?
1: Yeah, early 90s. I would put it around the same time as like Hook and some of those other things.
0: Yeah, In 88 was also Big Business. Oh, Big Business, yeah. With uh, Lily Tomlin and Bette Midler playing two Different sets of identical twins, twins who are, yeah. like, separated at birth and then swapped.
1: Yeah, Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin films in and of themselves are a great genre. That could be your season four. I love uh, Lily Tomlin. I forgot about that one, yeah.
0: There's also Dead Ringer from 64, the Betty Davis film, where she's playing her own twin. It's like a thriller, and they're both in love with the same man, and, you know. Yep. So this type of trope has been going on for a really long time, or this, this sort of actor portrayal, you can go into TV and talk about Patty Duke. Is there any that stand out for you as just being god-awful? Mm. Like, this should never have been done in the first place.
1: The doppelganger in and of itself, I think the classic horror trope. But then where it starts to get unsettling, this is going to be a weird aside, like Eddie Murphy and the clumps, like where an actor plays like an entire yeah. group of folks. And I guess Adam Sandler had his version of that as well. That's where it starts getting too much for me.
0: I think there's something about as much as I give it grief, I think there is something about an actor playing themselves in a movie That's just fun. Yeah. No matter how good or bad it's done, there's just a a piece of fun to it that I appreciate. But somewhere out there, there's a terrible twin movie, and I hope some of the listeners can steer me to that because I'd really, really like to watch that. We're going to get back to this interesting duo of people playing themselves and get back to our feature presentation. So we left off with Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) As you do. I never thought I'd have that sentence in a subgenre, but there we are. We left off with Hitler in his bunker with his crew, determining for all of us as an audience that it is December 8th, but it's not December 8th, 1944. It is December 8th, 1941. The plotters, all three of our guys in their Nazi uniforms, have showed up at Hitler's bunker. Klaus has a plan, which we get bits and pieces of, but basically it has to do with involving his younger self, who is currently working yes. at the bunker.
1: Yeah, I mean they just kind of roll up and demand. I don't remember the details of his plan exactly, but I remember them getting shuffled in to talk to Der Führer. Like
0: they're they're, they're basically put into a waiting room. Hitler's busy. Yeah, hang out in the waiting room, read a magazine, and that's when Klaus kind of sees, oh, sees his,
1: himself go into the radio room doing his very important business, which is I'm just assuming is like messing around with the women that are yes. in the room. Yeah. So that's his very, very important, important business. business.
0: Absolutely. While he is doing that and they're waiting to see Hitler, some Nazi soldiers out in the field discover the rocket. They come across the rocket. They have no idea what this thing is, but they've got a good idea. It's not great for them. It is wartime. And so they are sneaking up on this rocket while they are doing that. We're inside the rocket as an audience with the Americans yes. and Jan uh, as Carol and Helena. Hello. And we get more time, thank goodness, with Shirley. Shirley,
1: yes. We've got our in-flight meal uh, being served. As, Which
0: looks just like the meal from 2001, right? The little pudding cup
1: lots of, versions. Lots of jello hair in a nice kind of lucite package and then with the film <laughs> pulled off. Yeah, the 2001 connection, that's what their spacesuits reminded me quite a bit mm-hmm. of that. It's not like the domed helmet. It doesn't look like a practical helmet, but it's very familiar.
0: Well, you know, why uh, improve on performance? Yeah,
1: no. You will get no argument from me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shirley is hoping well, we didn't get to we're not getting to see any dinosaurs like we paid for, but surely we can go see some of the war. We did pay to come back on this trip. Helena is having to let her know that no, that may not be possible to go see the war. While Jan and Helena then are having a little conversation about what are we going to do, Helena over Jan's shoulder, because Jan told her about his morning and scalding himself with tea and how things went down. Over his shoulder, she sees Nazis peeking through the capsule window, indicating that they are about to be boarded. Okay, our guys have been in the waiting room. They've been waiting to see Hitler. They finally are allowed into the war room and in they go. And they, in their mind, of course, think that this is December 8th, 1944.
1: Right. We're going to be the saviors. We've got the thing. You guys are in dire straits now. It's all... Which
0: is what they announce to Hitler and everybody. We know you are losing the war. We know that in a few days' time, things are going to be very bad, and we are here to save you from, they say, last-minute, unconditional surrender. To which the whole room essentially breaks out laughing, laughing. except for yeah. Hitler, who doesn't you're, laugh at
1: crazy, obviously.
0: Hitler demands that they be removed from the room. That's obviously ludicrous. We're winning the war. Didn't you hear? Pearl Harbor's been invaded. We're going to declare war on America. We've captured most of Europe. We are winning the war. There is no unconditional surrender about to happen. So Klaus says, I'll prove it to you. In three minutes time from now, you are going to receive a call from General Henkel at the Eastern Front, the Russian Front. And he is going to tell you essentially that all is lost on that front so we'll wait three minutes it is during the wait time while everyone's standing around and watching the clock tick that bauer manages to catch a glimpse of the calendar that right. we as the audience have seen before convenient calendar the yes. convenient calendar and suddenly realize what's happened
1: oh dear yes i've not done my math correctly here
0: <laughs> and he kind of what is it out the side of his mouth he's like um scu- um this is this isn't the day i messed up the landing we're three years too early yeah
1: it's not quite Keystone Cops, but nothing quite works the way it's supposed to.
0: And it is with that knowledge then that they are three years too early, that at that moment, remember the guy they yanked out of the car earlier yes. in order to get here, and they sprayed him with green and everything? Yeah. Here come a bunch of soldiers that have discovered this dude on the side of the road and are bringing him in, green and petrified, and missing a leg.
1: He says, I tried to straighten him out, and he sort of tries to take his leg and just sort of snaps. And the leg snaps
0: off. So bad. And is it Bauer or something? He's like, you moron, if you'd have just left him alone, yeah, he'd have yeah. been fine. When they,
1: he would have been fine in a few minutes.
0: Hitler wants to know what's going on. The Nazis who have found this guy out in the snow say there's a rocket that's landed. The Americans have landed a rocket. And they bring him in. So here comes Jan. Here comes Shirley. Here comes Patrick, Patrick, the husband. Here comes Helena. They truck them all into the bunker. And not upsetness, not terror, not dread, not any emotion does Shirley show except for excitement.
1: Yeah, she goes in to hug Hitler real fast. Like, she's getting a selfie to take back. It's Um, the
0: real Hitler. It's like going to a zoo and seeing the, the polar bear that you've never seen before. Oh, look, I need a picture.
1: She just gets right up and throws her arm around him and he sort of shrugs off.
0: And she kind of to their dismay, she's acknowledges the plotters who are who have been pretending to be Nazis up to this point. Oh, those are the guys that came with us as well on the rocket. Which puts them in even more dire, dire straits. Yeah. Which allows then Gehring, Hermann Gehring, if you're familiar with your Your World War II history. Yeah. yeah, You know, you always see him in like big flamboyant outfits and things. He proclaims them all as spies and you know what happens to spies. Yes. Patrick, the American husband, tells Hitler he's overreacting. We're just American citizens. We're not spies. This makes things a little more complicated, it's said, because of course Germany won't declare war on america until Until tomorrow tomorrow. and at this point america is they're not an ally but they're not an enemy at that point and so it could be very complicated and we get the second of my favorite lines in this movie which is hitler proclaiming out loud to himself this is no way to run a world war yeah
1: this is i mean this is the sequence where that stupid comedy level just kicks in of like our intro music of hitler with the funky stuff uh just the ridiculousness of, of. Wait, wait. You mean this music? Yeah, this guy.
0: Yeah, that music. <laughs>
1: And then, yeah, just everything's dissolving. All these ineptitude of, like, let's not take the Nazis seriously. Let's kind of undermine them with all these ridiculously tropey. But, yeah, that line is great. This is no way to run a world war. It's very grosso marx kind Uh of uh, vibe to it, yeah.
0: So Hitler proclaims he wants all of them arrested. Goering proclaims he wants them all shot. Yes. Klaus, thinking he can still talk his way out of this points to a younger officer in the room and says, this is the younger me and figures this is the right time to take out the briefcase and present the nuclear bomb to the Fuhrer.
1: Yes, I've got something for you and it's going to help you win the war.
0: And so slides it across the table or whatever, or he opens it himself, I can't remember, and inside is not the nuclear bomb.
1: No, nope. unfortunately, Shirley's dainty undergarments <laughs> are on display here.
0: <laughs> they've picked up the wrong briefcase on the way out of the rocket, which we right. saw coming a mile away, yeah, but here's exactly. the payoff for it. And because there's no nuclear device in there and because everything they've said to this point has not been convincing they are taken away away. to be tortured right but klaus has one more thing he thinks he can do in order to make his case
1: he's got this projector he's got some newsreel footage from the end of the war
0: and projects onto the wall for all of them newsreel footage of the fall of Berlin. and so you've got buildings blown apart and you've got fire everywhere and you've got people surrendering And this is the first time that anything seems to get through to Adolf Hitler. And it's upsetting.
1: He loses it really quickly. They only get a couple of shots before they get Klaus out of the room. right? Mm -hmm. So they and he drops the little flashlighty thing and they get shoveled off. And so then Hitler gets it and he's by himself and he throws it up on the wall. And it's just like, no, this can't be real. And it's just seeing his psyche crack for the first time, I guess. Um, which is an interesting idea. Like, yeah, if you told Hitler he was going to lose the war and you could somehow convince him, you know, there's lots of time travel theories about things being self-correcting, right? So, like, maybe the war ends in 1941. Uh-huh. Who knows? But he
0: looks at it. His psyche kind of breaks apart, like you said. He gets very upset about it. But he ends that whole sequence by proclaiming to himself out loud, no, we will win, we will win.
1: I mean, it could be that if things play out... At this point, maybe Klaus has done his job. They'll have other folks look at the footage, I assume, you know, how. however that would play out. That's not the way it's going to go. That's but, not the yeah. way it's going to go.
0: While he is doing that and having his breakdown and climbing under the table or whatever in the bunker, all of our guys are being taken away to assumedly be tortured and shot yes. and whatever else. While they are being taken away, really, Shirley's only upset that she hasn't seen dinosaurs. Yeah. She paid good money for that. Helena is separated from... Yan. She's taken one direction. He tries to follow after her. He gets knocked over the head and can't Mm. follow. And so he gets dragged away into the same place as the other plotters. And they are locked into whatever cell cell. it is that they get locked into. Meanwhile, out at the rocket, yeah. where all these guys have been taken from, a soldier that is out there has found the actual briefcase yes. that has the nuke in it.
1: They cracked the nuke open. We saw it earlier, but it's got this very nice Strategic Air Commands logo on it. and um, Instruction I, book? I guess it was in the museum, so I guess you would want all of the accoutrement for uh-huh.
0: posterity's sake. Um, but they don't know what it is. They just know it's bad and American.
1: That's the infernal machine or the infernal device and he just grabs it away from him real quick and just chucks it into the pond. Yeah, never
0: to be seen again. It it sinks into the mud and bye.
1: It is funny how that shot works because you're like, oh no, instinctually, I don't think that's going to set it off, but they hold on the bubbles coming out of, like, after the briefcase goes in and bubbles, 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 and you're, like, half waiting (laughs) for, like, the nuke to go off. It's like... It would take out the whole bunker, you'd get all the Nazis. Yeah. I mean it'd be bad, but a movie would be over. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but no, it just sinks under the mud, away it goes, and yeah. you know, theoretically never to be seen again. Yes, no. Back at the bunker in the cell where everybody has been locked, who is looking over Klaus? But Klaus. His younger self is the person who is, you know, basically telling Klaus, you're now going to be tortured before you're going to be executed.
1: The makeup's okay. Younger Klaus does look sort of younger. He's got darker hair. Um, There's no prosthesis or like special effects really here. The tricky team didn't have to do too much. This is probably- They were
0: doing other things. This is
1: definitely makeup's purview um, for the the age (laughs) effects.
0: And older Klaus is chastising younger Klaus for having himself executed. Yes, yeah. (laughs) And younger Klaus is asking, do you have any last wishes? And older Klaus's last wish is yes. One year after the war ends, you're going to go to Bodensee in the summer. Don't do that, because when you do, you're going to get this bout of sciatica, Sciatica. and it's going to last you for five years. So don't do that. That's my last wish. That's your wish. (laughs) And away they take Klaus, and you kind of hear in the other room him being tortured and shot. And that's the end of Klaus.
1: That's the end of Klaus.
0: So while that is happening... You've got Rolf and Bauer chatting in this room about how to get out of here. And I think I said before that Jan was in here. Is Jan in here with them? He
1: is. They did conk him over the head, and he's sort of knocked for a loop, and they drag him. Yeah. he's, He's
0: pretty conscious. But while they're chatting, Bauer's working on his own ropes. Yeah. He manages to get his ropes loosened, but... It doesn't really matter. He says he knows they're doomed no matter what, even if he has loose ropes on his hands, because we're hearing outside the door Klaus being tortured and shot. Rolf takes out his frustration on Jan, who has since come back to consciousness in the room there, saying it's all his fault. And here comes an officer to take Rolf away for the same thing, presumably, as Klaus. Except he decides he wants to search Rolf's pockets.
1: And he finds our... Lovely little aerosol can of paralyzing juice. Not and, knowing what it is. Yeah. He's like, oh, what's this? Some kind of fancy male cologne or something?
0: Sprays it in the air to smell it or whatever it was. And if it, it incapacitates himself. Yes.
1: These are not their best people here at no. uh, these Nazis. I think you would want probably more security minded folks <laughs> hanging out with your like core Nazi group. Just if supposed but spies. They've been in like, the yeah, bunker
0: a while. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's possible. Yeah. They're not great. And. Uh, the not great also goes into what happens next, which is as soon as this officer has incapacitated himself, Rolf or uh, one of the others, Bauer sneaks over and just sort of edges the door, the door closed yeah. and manages to get it closed before the other Nazis can come in and stop them and kill yes. them.
1: Yes, so now they're they were able to get loose and Jan is just like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> So They
0: manage to find whatever uniforms they find to fake their way past whatever it is they need to fake their way past to get out. As they are walking through the hallway, they are also carrying this officer who has greened himself. Yeah. And they end up passing a woman who sees that, screams and draws attention to them. And so the chase is on.
1: They sort of duck and hide and another Nazi comes in and they, they get him too. And then they get his gun and then they're able to get out of there pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. They get out, but they're trying to escape at first on foot. Yeah. Right. Just basically trying to walk out and hope nobody notices. But Jan kind of stops it and says, I'm not leaving without Helena. I'm going to go back for Helena. Well, in the ensuing argument, Oh, over that they're discovered here come all the soldiers knowing where they are now. And so that forces all of them to steal a truck.
1: I mean, that was probably what they needed to do in the first place. But um, yeah, so we have a full on like action chase sequence with like guns and fire. And and
0: grenades. And
1: grenades, yes. The grenades, comedic grenades. There's like so
0: many grenades that come out of the back of this thing. It's a silly car chase.
1: Yeah, it is pretty silly. This is the pyro line of Tricky's budget here. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, and there's the ones stunt guy who's seat of his pants is on fire. Somehow he gets blown up and he's like rolling on the ground, but it's like only the seat of his pants is on fire. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's a really <laughs> weird placement. But
0: Well, he is a liar. Oh, sir. Pants on fire. Yep. They drive the truck back to the rocket thinking that they're going to go back to the rocket, I guess, and escape and yes. get back home with everything. And
1: there's more Nazis.
0: But when they get there, there are more Nazis. They're shot at. The rocket's surrounded. But you Jan is able to use the starter, Jan as Carol. As, yeah, as, Carol. as yeah. Carol is able to use the starter, fire up the rocket and lift off, leaving both the Nazis but also Helena behind.
1: Right. But Bauer gets on board and Rolf gets on board.
0: Correct. Klaus so, is dead.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the whole let's go back and get Helena thing didn't really matter. Didn't play out. They, yeah. didn't, they
0: didn't have time to do that. So she's been left behind in time. Klaus's dead body's been left in time, but the rest of them get to go home, including the Americans, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Sure. We never saw what happened to Shirley and Patrick after the little hit, but they presumably were probably tortured as well. Yeah. But we don't know because war hadn't been declared yet. That's true. That's true. Maybe they gave them some pudding or something. (laughs) They ended up in Argentina
0: somewhere at some point. Yeah. Okay we're back in the rocket. Are you following us? This is only
1: the first trip back in time, by the
0: way. <laughs> oh yeah, there's going to be more. There's going to be more. So we are back in the rocket. While we are flying home, Jan in the cockpit overhears these other two guys, the other two plotters, talking about how he, Carol, Jan, is a danger to them and they're going to have to get rid of him. He's a liability to this project. So Jan then does some reprogramming on the rocket, yeah. which allows him not to land at the base when he is supposed to back in mm-hmm. present day, but he lands at the base earlier than he is supposed to because he has a plan.
1: He's going to come in a day early, it seems like, which I they do sort of, when they get there, get a little exchange with the radio air traffic, time traffic control tower. Uh, But they don't really seem to question it too much, you know. Yeah.
0: And Jan, try, once they're back this day early, Jan tries to, you know, make his getaway. He doesn't make a getaway because he's cornered by the plotters. They sort of take him into custody between both of themselves. But the problem is that they're here a day early or at least after. Hours early, whether I don't remember if it's a full yeah. day or not. And they end up running into themselves in the airport. So mm. Rolf kind of sees himself passing by, which is the first time we get overlapping time loops mm. in this film. And we see, because of those overlapping time loops, we get to see this sort of passphrase exchange between the earlier Rolf, because we've been following porter, him yeah. and the porter. So we know that things are are happening, but they have led to our current crew being there to see the past crew happening. So
1: yes, th- the loop there's a loop hasn't happening. been disrupted quite yet. So okay. So what
0: do you do? You gotta get away for a minute. So they go outside, they find that rental car that had been rented early, the one with the trunk that mm-hmm. opens all the time. They get in the car, basically. we'll yeah. skip we'll skip all the confusing bit, but basically they they get into the car. Rolf asks Jan why did you do this? Why did you bring us back early. earlier? Yeah. And Rolf wanted all of them to go back before all of the disaster that just happened yeah. happened and to somehow make it right. Right. And in that moment, he's still playing Carol. They don't know that he is Jan. Jan, yeah. And he says, soon I'll wake up and scald myself with tea. That's where we are in this day. So we are the the day before. I start losing the thread a little bit around this time. I'll pick it back up in a while, but I think this was right about the time where my brain began to melt (laughs) and try to keep up with all of this. But let's see how we do. We now cut to Jan's apartment. We're starting to see the scene from earlier where Carol is going to choke on the roll and Jan is going to have to help him. As that whole thing is playing out, a car pulls up, our rental car, pulls up out front of this apartment building.
1: Oh, yes, yes.
0: And Jan, in the backseat, front seat of this car, sees himself run out of the building to go try to find the dock. What happens here is that Rolf, driving our odd duck-looking Rolf, tells Bauer, go up there and save Carol. So I think they had to have figured out at this point that there was some the switcheroo that had happened. Yeah.
1: Maybe, maybe it was when they landed at the airport and coming back and he said tomorrow, see, I am, I'm not really Carol. I'm Jan and I'll That's wait. I've woken up and I'll scald myself a tea. Okay. Like when we're
0: back there, yeah. they know at this point, because there's two things happening here. When they pull up in front, Rolf tells Bauer, you got to go save Carol. While Jan is off running for the doctor, you go right. upstairs and fix it. While you're going upstairs to fix it, I'm taking the real Jan off somewhere and getting rid of him. Yes. Right. And so the rental car takes off with Rolf and Jan, and Jan because yeah. they're they're going to go do things. And Bauer steps out of the car to run upstairs to save Carol. Only to be immediately hit by a truck.
1: Right. Hit by a truck. And uh, yeah, we see um, the lady. There's a little lady that's outside of Jan's apartment every time with her dog, Donald, a little basset hounds, And Donald comes over and sees the dead man <laughs> <laughs> under the bus, like all the way under the bus. But Rolf and uh, Jan have peaced out. So they don't know Bauer's dead at this point.
0: And because Bauer's dead, then that means Carol is going to die again. Right, right. Carol will not be alive. And Rolf doesn't know this and is driving Jan out to some deserted hillside somewhere. Yeah, the dump or something. The, yeah, takes him to the dump and essentially tries to get rid of him. He dumps him off on a hillside. He shoots him right? And sprays him as well. Oh, he
1: sprays him first. He sprays him and paralyzes him. And I guess he shoots him, but then rolls him down the hill. Yeah. So shoots him kind of in the chest.
0: Yes. And so present day yawn, this is going to get confusing. We're going to figure out how to refer to people, but this present day yawn is left for dead on a hillside. Yeah. Meanwhile, though, back at the apartment, the earlier yawn was never stopped from getting the doctor. Carol choked right. on the roll. The doctor was brought. They figured out that Carol is dead. This Jan is still alive. Yes. And so this Jan then is able to take the call from Klaus, who calls and asks him about the suits.
1: Everything proceeds everything everything as proceeds it Everything proceeds as it should. Yeah, at the, in the first go-around. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so Klaus
0: calls Jan, thinking that he's Carol, asks about the suits. There's that same miscommunication, and the timeline starts, sort of starts over in the same way. But right about that point then... Rolf shows up to meet Klaus Klaus and and Bauer, Bauer. the previous Klaus and Bauer from the beginning of the movie. Yes. And informs them that they can stop talking about whatever they're talking about. We already tried it. Yeah. And it failed. There was this whole mix-up thing and the whole mission failed, but... Klaus and Bauer have no way to really comprehend and understand this time thing because they haven't gone through it yet. And Rolf says, I- I'm not worried about you, Klaus. You're going to be executed in a while in Nazi Germany. <laughs> yeah. But there is a living
1: Bauer. Bauer We've got an extra Bauer. So. The guy
0: who was supposed to go save Carol from yeah. choking on a roll. He thinks he's still out there. There's an extra one out there. We can't have both of you out there. Yeah.
1: So he caps Bauer. And, and now there are, Bauer. There, there are no Bowers because all the Bowers are dead.
0: <laughs> are you following this? Yes. Okay, so Roth thought that he was getting rid of an extra bower. There are no extra powers. Right. All the bowers are now dead. And the Klauses are now dead, right? Because the Klaus... No,
1: Klaus number two is, still, number two is still, still there. There's still two Rolfs because Rolf is out there sightseeing yes. and doing his like watching the sunbathing ladies yes. uh, tourist routine.
0: And we think there's only one yawn, because we saw yawn get greened and get shot and dumped on a hillside. Right. And the other yawn wake up, go get the doctor, doctor and right. all of that. So we think there's only one yawn. However, we soon find out that that is not true because yawn wakes up, on the side of this hill at the dump, sees that he's been shot, but also sees that he's not dead.
1: We've got another tried and true film trope. Uh, He pulls the uh, key card from the rocket ship out of his chest pocket, and Uh it's uh, it's caught all the bullets. It's so nice when you can group your bullets, and uh, everything works out. Yeah. So he has been saved. Yes, no He's broken legs. No he broken legs.
0: He didn't bend weird, apparently, while it was paralyzed. The green has worn off. While he is waking up on a hillside, Klaus, or the former Klaus, and Bauer. Oh, sorry, not Bauer, Rolf. Rolf. Ralph, Rolf Ralph, Ralph, Ralph and yeah. Klaus are carrying Bauer, who has just been killed. Murdered, yes. Yep. And taking him out to the car and putting him into the car trunk.
1: In the trunk, yes. Okay,
0: so he's stuffed into a trunk. Jan is flagging down a truck to take him from the dump back to where he needs to go. He needs to go to the metro so he can get to everywhere Air, he needs to go. The yeah. Exactly. And so there's a like a big truck driver that pulls over and yeah. is taking him into town who immediately notices that there's bullet holes in the guy's jacket.
1: She's oh, But I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm getting better, sir.
0: So. This guy in 77 has some version of a car phone in the truck
1: yeah did he add that i this is our future as well like i think i lost track of the fact that we're in the future because oh, i lost track so, about a long time yeah, ago so yeah. so far away
0: he has a version of a car phone which Jan asked to use okay you can use my car phone that's okay, no problem yes he calls right he calls himself at home the original Jan. and there is a miscommunication to where our in-the-truck yawn thinks that he is not talking to himself but is talking to his brother, Carol, right. who he thinks has been saved by the Bauer, um, who was the guy who got hit by the truck when he stepped out of the car earlier. So there's this whole miscommunication about who's alive and who's dead. Yeah. And he, yawn in the truck, asks if Bauer, the man—he describes him as the man in the funny hat— has saved him. And Jan, as Carol says, no. Um, He was hit by a truck outside. And so we know that things have gone screwy again.
1: Yes, that Carol's dead.
0: Jan tries to explain to the other Jan that he knows he's not Carol. Right. I know you're not Carol. I know that you are me. We both now exist in this timeline, but earlier Jan is not playing along and hangs up on him.
1: Yeah, he thinks it's a prank call or something.
0: (laughs) Or just doesn't want to admit it because he's taken on this role of... Right, his brother. Of his brother. So... Our yawn in the truck asks for a second phone call, is told he can make one from the truck. And so then calls Universum, the company with the rockets, asks for his boss, Mr. Rusek. Yep. Tells him, look, here's everything that's kind of gone down. I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen in the next few minutes. It's the same ploy that Klaus was trying to do in Ooh, the yes. bunker with Hitler. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen in the first few minutes. And when this happens and you see that I'm telling you the truth, I want you to tell me who is playing Carol in front of you, Mm. not to go to Ava's and propose to her and tell him also that Helena is going to fall in love with him and that he cares for Helena too. He's really trusting Mr. Rusek with his entire love life and the love life of of his brother at that point. It is very confusing to the driver, the driver who has been listening to this entire phone call about future happenings and past happenings and all of this, and so he...
1: Yeah, he's weirded out, (laughs) so he's like, yeah, you got to go,
0: my dude. And lets him know, if you really do
1: know the future, then you're going
0: to know who's going to pick you up next. Yes. Okay, back at Universum, this is where originally we had seen Jan as Carol giving bad directions to an older woman who was looking to make a complaint. In this moment, because he's not there, then Robert, who's the guy who threatened to beat him up for sleeping with his wife, is giving correct directions to this older woman. That's how I took that. Yeah. That things are going as they should or slightly different. Yeah, But then Jan shows up. And this gives Robert the opportunity to drag Jan kind of back into that changing room Yes. and tell him he knows about Jan and or about Carol
1: and Marquette. Yep, and he doesn't even bother to say I'm going to uh, smack you around when you get back and just goes ahead and pops him one right there. Yeah, beats
0: beats the snot out of him right yep. there in the in the changing room. We will see the outcome of this here in a second. But where we go to first is another one of these weird time loop things, which is our plotters now are Rolf and Klaus. Klaus, yeah. Because Bauer's dead in the trunk. Yeah. Rolf and Klaus pull up at a corner. Klaus says, why are we here? Rolf says, I have to find myself. I'm out sightseeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to kill myself. Yes. Because my third favorite line in this movie there can't be two of us around with only one salary.
1: They dispose of him really easily. It's just he's leaning on the edge of the bridge and taking pictures of the sunbathers and come and just chuck him in there.
0: And they're going to go and take care of him and move everything forward. And we're going to figure out what happens after that when we get back. Hey, have you listened to the Art Curious podcast? Have you read the book? Have you watched the YouTube channel? No? I just... What are you doing with your life? Art Curious is a universe of content about all things unusual in art. It's the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful. It's hosted by the lovely and talented Jennifer Dassel. That's my wife. And it's the most bingeable content around. Is the Mona Lisa a fake? Was Vincent Van Gogh murdered? Was Donald Duck responsible for beating the Nazis? And what was the deal with Andy Warhol? Like, really, what was the deal? Listen, read, and watch fascinating stories like these and more when you subscribe today to Art Curious. Visit ArtCuriousMedia.com for more. Art Curious. Listen. Read. Watch. Art. Welcome back. You're listening to Subgenre. We are talking about the 1977 Czechoslovakian film. When I wake up tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow I'll, I'll wake tomorrow, up and I'll scald myself. Wake with up and tea. scald myself with tea. Yes, that one, the one that we have been confusing the hell out of ourselves with in a lot of ways. But in trying to keep track of these multiple characters in multiple loops, this yes. is hard.
1: It is. There's too many yawns. There's There's too many K names. Yeah, Klaus and Carol. Carol And yeah, everybody is confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Confusing with a K. Yes.
0: We will try as we're going through. I think we had said we could start referring to them as yawn one and yawn two. We could yep. refer to them as early yawn and late yawn, black eye yawn, non-black eye yawn.
1: Now that's the dumb yawn, this is how it is. The one that doesn't know what's going on, yawn prime, number one, <laughs> has been through the loop one time and watched it fall apart. And he's come back and he's trying to correct things. So now the, the dumber, younger version of him has a black eye because Robert has popped him one. So,
0: so that's less confusing. Yeah. We'll take it from there. Back at our feature presentation. When we left off last time, Rolf had pulled the car to the corner at the bridge, had said, after having already killed Bauer... Who's in the trunk. Who's in the trunk. Now says he has to go kill himself, his previous self who's outside seeing, because we can't have two of himself around. And so that is where they are currently. Before they do that... Jan, as Carol, manages to get away from Robert, who's just beaten the snot out of him back in the changing room at the airport. And as he is leaving the changing room, he runs into his boss or Carol's boss, Rusak yeah. and a woman who I don't know that they identify, but a woman on the staff who Carol should know and maybe even know in quotation marks, right. but which Jan does not and sort of acts as if he doesn't know her and she's offended and she leaves. This Rusek tells the woman before she leaves should be expected of Carol. This is how he is. Jan, of course, is going to tell Rusek about his brother who died choking on a roll. Yes. And ask for a little bit of time off as he did before in order to go take care of things. Right. Okay, great. That's where Jan is going to be. What is Jan doing with that time? Jan goes to Ava's. Right. So remember, we he went to the roof of this place, but before he goes, he passes the same flower girl. This time, he doesn't buy any flowers. Nope. And gets to the roof already knowing that the knife is coming yep. and doesn't even sweat. It just walks right past as the knife hits the board. He's good. And tells the knife thrower, who we identified earlier, says that in a moment, a man who looks like me who is dressed in a uniform, is going to show up, but you can't let him in here. That's your job. And while this guy is waiting for that guy to show up, Jan goes to talk to Mr. Krupa Mm -hmm. without Ava knowing that he's talking to him. But as he is waiting to talk to Mr. Krupa or talking to it, he manages to look over the edge of the building and sees his previous self approaching. Right. The guy who does buy flowers.
1: Pilot suit. Yeah, black eye.
0: So here comes Krupa. Jan talks to Mr. Krupa and tries to explain to him, look, The dead man, remember we talked about the dead man on the phone earlier? That dead man actually isn't Jan, it's Carol. Oh, yeah. And you need to go tell Ava that Carol is dead. And don't worry about it because he wouldn't have married her anyway. So that is Jan's plan at this point, is to kind of start undoing this whole thing. Ava shows up. She immediately thinks that Jan is Carol. Yeah. But Krupa breaks that illusion immediately and tells her, nope, Carol's dead.
1: And she faints immediately. And, and she
0: faints immediately, as it was said earlier that she might do, that she would become over-emotional so and, and fall. So the earlier Jan, the one who buys flowers, right, now shows up on the roof, sees our current black-eyed Jan, thinks that that is his brother Carol. He's alive. He's alive. Ava awakens from her fainting to see them both. Which makes her think, oh, Carol is alive. Right. Because she now sees two twin brothers. Everyone is kind of confused about who everyone else is. Yeah. And Peter, the knife thrower, who has been given a mission to keep this guy out of here takes this yawn carrying flowers and chucks him onto the trampoline. Right. Did we mention there's a trampoline on this roof? We said there were circus performers. There's circus
1: performers. There's There's a trampoline. There's a trampoline on the roof. That was the flying Walinda's connection. Yes. Ava,
0: who is happy to see Carol, who she thinks is Carol, but is actually the old yawn, joins him on the trampoline. Yeah. Everybody picture this in your head. Mr. Krupa thinks that he's sort of being made a fool of in some sense Mm. or, or made fun of because he's had this other yawn telling him that Carol was dead and he He's had Carol telling him that Jan was dead, and he's had all these things. He he thinks he's just being played for one reason or another. Right. So that does not make him happy. And so he orders Peter, big knife-throwing Peter, to get Jan, the original Jan. Yes. Go get him. Get him out of here. But that sets off a chain reaction.
1: In the weirdest little stunt moment ever, uh, yeah, Peter just sort of rushes Jan and Eva on the trampoline. It just attacks. And... and he's
0: so much bigger than them that when he jumps on the trampoline to get Jan, he instead bounces.
1: And gets the father, Mr. Krupera, and the mom, who are, I guess, standing somewhere in the vicinity of the trampoline. Yes.
0: I think bounces Ava and Jan up in the air. They collide with the two parents. Parents, yeah. Okay. And all four of them Go ass over tea kettle off the roof, the roof and land on the flower, on the flower vendor girl. stand. Yeah, below. so
1: below. It happens really quick. It's hard to exactly parse it out because Peter doesn't go over the roof. He's on the trampoline. He sends everybody else off the roof, <laughs> This It's his action. And we
0: wonder did anyone survive? We quickly find out no one survived. All four of them are laying sprawled across the sidewalk and dead.
1: And the flower girl. She's dead. And the flower girl. And
0: everyone, all the. St- people surrounding on the street peter the kids they had other kids like younger kids and they're like you've left us an orphan. orphan yeah yeah everyone is distraught except for Jan, the black eye Jan. yeah he's
1: just like all right whatever
0: because he knows he can fix this time travel exists yes and so he just he'll he's not worried about it he'll fix it here in a little while he's got other things to attend to okay We get to go back to Rolf and Bauer as they find their earlier version of Rolf out sightseeing and taking pictures of the ladies in the boats and all these types of things. And just take advantage of a moment of a tour group being led by a woman speaking English. This is the first time we didn't let the Americans speak English, but whatever this tour group is, we're speaking English, but they kind of hide behind him. And like, I think you had mentioned earlier, they sort of pick up Rolf and chuck him over the bridge.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is where I'm getting confused because it's like, how many times have we been through this loop? We have only one and a half times, right?
0: We've never tossed Rolf off the bridge yet.
1: Okay. I I was, I got ahead of myself. Sorry.
0: (laughs) That's okay. This is the first. And I think the only time they're going to chuck him off a bridge, Right. but they do killing him. Rolf is off the bridge. Rolf hits the river, sinks and dies. Theoretically. Bauer, who's been shot earlier, is still laying in the trunk of the car. So it's Rolf and Klaus who have been out doing the murder here on the bridge. Okay, I got that wrong earlier. But Rolf and Klaus, after they have thrown the old Rolf off the bridge, go back to their car, get in the car to make their escape. As they're getting in the car to make their escape, there's some kids playing nearby. One of them kicks an errant ball. It bounces over, hits the trunk, which we know opens at the drop of a hat. Pops the trunk up. Yeah. What does that reveal? The dead body. The dead body. Who happens to be standing next to the car when the dead body is shown? The police. The police. So we've got two cops who have now seen a dead body laying in the back of a car. They don't realize they've done that.
1: Yeah. Rolf and
0: Klaus, they take off and the cops call it in. So there is now an APB out for this car with a dead body in it. Right. Am I right so far? Yes. Okay, perfect. So this Rolf... And this bower, the guy's in the car with the dead body in it. They go back to Universum. They find who they think is Carol waiting in the hallway to get on the rocket, right? It isn't Carol.
1: It's original, original Jan. It's Jan.
0: And he claims to be Carol. He knows what he's doing this time. Yes. He claims to be Carol. He takes the suitcase. As they get near the gate, our plotters see these same American tourists that they saw before. Jan, still pretending to be Carol, tells the plotters not Mm -hmm. to worry and goes through the gate with the case. Rolf is convinced that this is the right guy, that this is Carol. he
1: seems way more put together than this idiot the first go-round.
0: Klaus thinks something is off, and so you've got both of them not quite sure what's happening. Jan has told them, don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. So he goes through the gate. He finds Helena, who is the flight attendant on this thing, and instead of letting the Americans through this time, he, playing Carol, says, no, Klaus has booked the entire flight, they get it to themselves, and I cannot let these Americans on without some sort of authorization. Helena steps out to go get the authorization, but as she's leaving, Jan takes a shot. And as Carol, to her, says, hey, you know my brother, he sends his love, and he would like to go on a date with you. Yes. Which is great, except for Helena knows Carol, and knows Carol's a liar, and so therefore doesn't believe Carol. Mm.
1: I'm trying to figure out like what this version of Jan's end game is for these relationship moves. But <laughs> I
0: think he's trying to tee up his Jan self, not yeah. his Carol self. He's yeah. trying to tee up a good life for his Jan self by telling the woman Helena, who he has discovered as Carol, right. he loves and who he sees likes him for him, even though he's now pretending to be Carol. This is awful to try to it describe. Is, it this is, is very awful.
1: strange, but yeah, okay, okay. I, I'm with you.
0: Trying to make it better. While all of this is happening, we're taken to the front desk at Universum. I'm I'm assuming that's what this is at at the company. And remember the police officers that saw the dead body in the back of the car? Well, they're here now. They have traced who the car was rented to, which is Rolf. Mm -hmm. And they say, hey, we're looking for this guy. And the ladies at the front gate are able to check and see which gate he's at because obviously he's on a rocket and his name's on the manifest. Right. And so that's where the cops are heading. Yan gets into the rocket, goes through the whole thing, only has the plotters aboard this time, not the Americans, and takes the rocket off into space. Again, no big preamble to taking the rocket off. Yeah, it's just, just pushed push the button goes. and off they go. They're into space and the Americans obviously are upset that right, they didn't get to, right. come, but you know, oh well. Helena, who is also left on the ground, tries to console the Americans and says, "You know, we could get you to the building of the pyramids or the battle of Waterloo and Patrick mishears Waterloo as Watergate and is very excited.
1: Yes, it's very, very good pot shot there for America.
0: <laughs> We're really just rolling plot forward here as fast as we can, right? So all of that has happened in order for this rocket to get into space. Once they are in space, Jan, who everybody thinks is Carol, calls these two plotters into the cabin and gives Rolf the briefcase. They open it. They see that it's the nuke. And this helps further solidify to them that this actually is Carol. This is Carol. That Carol's on their side and is helping them. Okay. Klaus, mm-hmm. being the ex Nazi that he yes, is, yeah. even wants to put Carol up for an award.
1: He'll be a hero of the Third Reich.
0: Yeah, wants to give him the Iron Cross or something, right? Point being that they are impressed with him. They believe that this is who he is and that they're heading towards this sort of historical moment. Right. We go back in time. The rocket uh, turns its colors, lands back in wartime Germany again. We see a repeat, kind of, of what we had seen the first time around. Our two guys now, not three guys because one of them's gone. Right. The Bauer no longer. He's gone. But our two guys, Rolf and Klaus, head out in their Nazi uniforms to go find Hitler. They leave Jan behind at the capsule. And as soon as they are out of earshot, eyeshot, round corner, whatever... He immediately gets on the radio and communicates to the Germans in the area that there are a couple of people in impersonating officers that are heading to assassinate Hitler and they're
1: carrying a briefcase.
0: Right. And this sets us up to do a different version of what we had seen with the car hijacking in the first of the movie.
1: Their car rolls up, they come out of the woods and uh, get arrested on the spot. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Almost. But while they stop the car, the guy originally who they, you know, sprayed green and everything, they stop the car. That goes as planned. They identify themselves as officers. That goes as planned. Oh, and and
1: other car comes up behind
0: them. Yeah, and they ask what day it is. It's December 8th. Okay, great. We got that. They may even be in the right year for all we know. Yeah. But something is different this time around, which I think one of them knows notices immediately is that there's this other car pulling up behind them yeah. And out of that car comes
1: more
0: SS agents groups. of some sort, yeah. SS yeah. or whatever, who gun them down, I think is what happens right about them, Right, isn't it? A,
1: right away. Yeah, well, they get the briefcase away because we got to do the repeat of the briefcase getting chucked into the pond. That's the thing that doesn't
0: change is that they managed to gun down our two plotters. They get the briefcase. They could be taking the nuke with them, but they're still morons and chuck it Check into a mud out. puddle. Yep. And it doesn't explode. It just, doesn't explode. But like there's,
1: now there's two nukes in the pond. Right.
0: There's two nukes in the pond sitting somewhere in the backwoods.
1: Yeah. I <laughs>
0: Because all of that's done, because our plotters are done for there and because the nuke has been thrown away right. and all of that, this lets Jan take the rocket back up by himself. He takes it back to Universum before he started the takeoff. He takes it, It's on June 1st, but it's prior to him having taken off. He goes to the bar where he would have met the plotters, remember, where he went in the beginning of the movie and kind yeah. of didn't know it was them and wandered around and wandered out. He goes back to see if they're there, but they are not there, right? right? So that part has not repeated itself. He finds the police officer, one of the police officers that's been looking for these guys with the dead body in the car, tells them that his brother Carol is a fascist and is working with this group who is trying to do bad things. It's a very difficult story to get across, but here in just a minute, everything is going to start again because shortly he'll wake up and scald himself with tea. This is the story he's spinning to this officer who he's trying to get to understand. He manages to get them on board enough with the talk of fascism and Nazis and the rest of it to get the officers, the police officers, in the right place, which is outdoors at Rolf's rental car. Right, right. And Rolf is heading for the car. There's some officers there waiting for him. And they're also in whatever that back room is where the porter who gave the passcode took the German uniforms uniforms
1: and everything. is. And
0: they're there to arrest him. The implication there is that the jig is up for right. The whole conspiracy
1: network collapses here. Yes.
0: Okay, we finally, finally, finally have had the Hitler plot unraveled. Everybody associated with it is dead or stuck in the past or dead and stuck in the past, including the nukes. And so all of that is wrapped up as neatly as this movie is going to wrap it up. What isn't wrapped up is the relationship and the story between Jan and Carol and Ava and all of that. Right. This is what we still have to solve, I think, if I'm thinking correctly.
1: Yeah, we've got the conspiracy wrapped up, but Jan's still on the road. He's going to go back. I don't know if he's thinking he's going to try to save Carol this time, but he goes back to the apartment. I think
0: that's the plan, but he gets to the apartment too late. Too yeah. late still in order to save Carol and kind of is able to see, again, his former self running out of the apartment and going right. to try to get the doctor and all of that. So he's able to get in front of his former self and get into the apartment. Carol's already dead. Mm. And so he picks Carol up. Here's his 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 brilliant plan. He drags Carol into the bathroom. Into the bathroom, yep. Puts him in the bathtub where he's just going to keep him out of sight and close the door. But unbeknownst to him, he creates an accident
1: for whatever reason the dishwashing detergent has been moved to the bathroom and um he does a costume change too i guess he's putting on carol's pajamas yes He's already thinking he's going to take his brother's place, I guess. Yes. The reason why the
0: dishwashing detergent may be in the bathroom, I, this is a complete aside, but it yeah. gives a great excuse to tell it. I had a buddy of mine who in Los Angeles lived in an apartment. It was a studio apartment, but it was really just the bedroom for a bigger apartment oh, that yeah. it had a door cut into the hallway. Okay. And so the only thing that existed in his whole universe was one small room where he slept on the floor and a bathroom. Okay. And the bathroom had to double... As, as a kitchen. As a kitchen, and he would wash his dishes in the tiny bathroom sink, and there was a little fridge, and there was a little microwave, and you could reach all of those things while sitting on the toilet. On the toilet, yeah. And so we referred to it as the bitchin'. The bitchin'. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The bathroom kitchen. Anyway, this could be a bitchin', yeah, yeah. for all we know. But yes, he puts on Carol's pajamas, he goes over and lays down as Carol would have been, and sort of splays himself across the bed as if he has been choking on a roll. The doctor and previous Jan arrive back at yeah. the apartment in time to see this version of Carol, Wake sit up. up and say, I'm fine. I'm
1: good. The doctor checks him out, makes a crack about slowing down and chewing his food, maybe.
0: While all of that is happening, that dishwashing liquid that was in the bathroom is doing to Carol's body what it did to the dishes at the beginning of the movie.
1: I don't know what Yan's plan was going to be if he didn't intend to dissolve Carol. I think it was
0: maybe to be able to explain to his former self what happened. Yeah. And here's the visual aid. Here's dead Carol. Here I am. And he was trying to keep it from the doctor, who he knew would be in the room. Right. Because once the doctor leaves, our all knowing Jan goes to his former self and says, Look, I got to tell He blocks him from going into the bathroom. Yeah, I don't want yeah, you going yeah. in there yet. I need to tell you something. But the former Jan while talking just pushes past him right into the bathroom he's got no
1: time for carol
0: he's got so. no time thinking that he is going previous on doesn't expect to find anything yeah current yawn knows he's going to find a dead yeah, body yeah. when they get in there neither is true right There's because a... there is no dead body
1: happily yeah There's happily. just an empty jug of dishwashing detergent in the tub and a watch and the watch
0: yeah which somehow is the only thing that survived our yawn tells early on that, you know, how you always say you don't really have anything to live for and that I guess he said these things. Yeah, at least. These,
1: I mean, the early on, the previous relationship does seem way, we could have spent way more time exploring that, yeah.
0: <laughs> but your life has meaning, why? Because you have somebody who loves you and you don't know they love you yet, but they do and I have requested a date for you, and her name is Helena, and she works at the airport.
1: Jan wants to know if Carol's dated her, like if she's like one of your seconds or something. Yeah.
0: And he says, no, the good news is she hates me. Yeah. So he has set himself up for success with the lady. Yeah. By pretending to be his brother. Okay. Okay. <laughs> This is where we're... So we've solved Jan's problem with women. Right. We've solved the Nazi conspiracy. All that's left to solve is Carol's problem with women. Right. And Carol's problem with women is Ava. Right. Which we have murdered the entire family in the past scene, or they are accidentally previous
1: timeline before right. they went back. Yeah.
0: So he takes himself. Jan takes his earlier self to Ava's apartment, apartment building. Yeah. And buys flowers. Right. Right. Didn't buy flowers last time, but this they time they buy
1: two bunches. They yes. buy
0: two bunches, and Jan takes one, and early Jan takes the other one. And early Jan, who's going to live as Carol now, right, is they- able to go up to Ava as Carol because we we found out early on in the movie that he fancied Ava to begin with. And Ava sees him down. Oh, Carol, I love you. She waves to him from the top of the roof. So that's what he's going to go do. He's going to go up. He's, we are to assume, propose to Ava and they're going to live happily ever after. And just before he can do that, he takes one false step into the street and is nearly mowed down...
1: By a bus, yeah. By a truck. truck, yes, the truck, yeah. Yeah,
0: by a giant truck, almost the same way that Bauer was earlier. He's almost mowed down by this truck, but this truck turns out to be the truck that's taking our conspirators to prison.
1: Right, and they're all in the back, and they get an eyeball full of Carol and... Or who they probably think is Carol. And Jan, and just get a wave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: And... Ava has come down from the roof. She joins Jan, who she thinks is Carol. Right. Oh, I almost lost you, Carol. But we're going to live happily ever after and kind of falls into his arms. And there they go. Yeah. And Jan.
1: As Carol tosses.
0: Yes. Tosses a bouquet. Here, take one of the two bouquets. And he's going to take his own bouquet. And the last thing we get on this is the shot of our Jan, our Jan who's been through everything, taking his bundle of flowers, presumably to go meet Helena.
1: Aryan, no, Arjan is with Ava because he set up younger, dumb Jan That's correct. To be with Helena. That's why it's weird because what? This is like real squicky. Like, I guess he likes Helena, but this is real creepy. No matter what, he's cool with taking Carol's place. He thinks Carol's <laughs> alleged She's, uh-huh. I can be the better version of Carol, right? Like it's the classic replacement sort of setup, but like, it's still weird. But yeah, dumb Jan, who doesn't know anything about anything, he just thinks this is Carol now. Carol has changed, had some sort of life-affirming yes. l- reset with the role and like a Mintos ending. It was like very much like, here's a bouquet, and it's Mintos, the tastemaker, kind of like the freeze paused. frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the thumbs up, is very awkward. So yeah. I
0: apologize right. to you and to everyone else for, <laughs> for how confusing this film is to me.
1: It's confusing all the way through. It's a very confusing film, but... But that's part of the joy, I think,
0: too, of this, is it's just, it's nonsense. From start to finish, it's nonsense, and if you understand half of it, you're doing great.
1: Right, right. You don't get... I mean, it's probably a really good thing that they don't spend any time trying to explain time travel. They just sort of hand wave it. I don't know the rules of paradoxes in time travel very well, like self-correcting. I don't think they do either. I think everything got cleaned up. Up well enough. I mean, you're in a future where you have dish-dissolving soap. <laughs> That's just, who knows what else is happening. <laughs>
0: Well, there we go. Yeah, we're through it. We made it. We're through it. That is uh, Tomorrow I Will Wake Up and Scald Myself with Tea, absurdist film at its best and worst. Yeah. Listeners, if you go off and watch this film or if you've watched it before this, please chime in on one of our socials and explain things to me and let me know what was your favorite and most confusing parts, because I'm really curious to see what anybody outside of this room uh, has to say about this movie, even if it's in Czechoslovakia.
1: I mean... That was the thing. We do have that weird YouTube version and the True. subtitles. Can the subtitles be fully trusted? You no. You never know. So The
0: answer is no.
1: We should probably find some other better <laughs> translations. Okay. Let's wrap this
0: sucker up. Yes. And I promise to everyone I will not use this again. But for the last gotcha. time, here's the damn last looks thing. Last looks. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Last looks is where we wrap this thing up and tie off our loose ends. So I think I only have maybe one or two final questions of you. And one is, did you like it? I I mean, we'll, we'll talk about how much we liked it in a minute, but did you like it versus not like it?
1: I think, yeah, I think on the whole, I like it. It's fine. As far as what I need from a story, a character going through some series of events and comes out changed at the end. Our Jan is very different. The version of him we started with at the end, he's a little bit more like Carol, but hopefully is better. Hopefully there's too many implications. I don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> but on the whole, uh, yeah, it's, it's super inventive. I want to find the short story and read it to find out more. I so. am
0: curious about the short no. story. Are you going to be watching more uh, Czech, New Wave uh, possibly. absurdist films? Now?
1: Possibly. I'm going to space it out a little bit, but yeah. I think the answer to both of those for
0: me as well is is possibly. Yeah, okay. I, you know, I may read the story. I may uh, go back and watch a bit more. At least Milos Forman stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, if I could go find that. Uh,
1: He's got a couple of films that I have not seen that were before he moved to America. We'll use Milos as a palate cleanser on this.
0: Okay, good. Let's play You Can't Handle the Truth. All right. You Can't Handle the Truth is our multiple choice quiz segment in subgenre. We do it nearly every episode, and this one is not going to be any exception. You are going to be given three multiple choice questions. Get right two of those three, and you win a prize, which I have absolutely no way of giving to you, okay. a rocket ride to see the dinosaurs. Oh, nice. Are you ready to play You Can't Handle the Truth Yes. Jones? absolutely. Here we go. Question number one. Since 1907, more than 100 court cases have been filed and fought between two competing companies, one that's in the U.S. and one that's in the Czech Republic, formerly Czechoslovakia. Who is this epic fight between? Is it A, American phone company AT&T versus ANTT, a Czech toilet manufacturer? Is it B, American beer brewer Anheuser-Busch versus Czech brewer Budweiser? Or C, American Pizza Parlor Chuck E. Cheese versus Czech Pizza Distributor Czech E. Cheese with a C?
1: I will go with the beer brewers, the Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch versus Budweiser? Yes.
0: Yay! Yeah. That is correct. Yes, the Budweiser trademark dispute has been going on forever between these two companies who both claim trademark and geographic origin to the name Budweiser. So as a result of all of this, Budweiser Budvar which I guess is the Czech company, can call it Budweiser in most of Europe. Yes. Whereas Anheuser-Busch can call it Budweiser in North America.
1: Interesting. So if so- you
0: find a Budweiser in many European countries, it's just going to be called Bud. And if you find a Budweiser from Czechoslovakia here in America, it's probably just going to be called Czechvar. All right. We got the first one. You Ready for the next one? Yes. OK, here we go. Number two. There's this beautiful astronomical clock in Prague. It was built in 1380 by this clockmaker named Mikulas of Kandan. Unfortunately, after his completion of the clock and not wanting to share his genius with the world, Prague council members reportedly burned out his eyes, but he got his revenge. How? Was it A, he blindly reprogrammed the clock to spin backwards and it hasn't been able to be fixed since? Is it B, He'd already made two other slightly smaller but otherwise identical clocks for practice and sold them to neighboring countries for a fortune. Or was it C, he threw himself into the gears of the clock, supposedly cursing it for anyone who dared to repair it?
1: Oh, man. I feel like I've seen this clock. I went to Prague in 1994, 95. I feel like a gruesome detail, like he threw himself into the gears of the clock would have like stuck with me. But after so many years, who knows? I feel like I'll go with, I think the B. He made two test versions and sold them for a fortune or something. Uh,
0: No, I'm sorry. It was actually, he threw himself into the gears uh, of the
1: clock
0: and supposedly cursed it for anyone daring to repair it. Of course, that may not be true. It's been repaired and rebuilt a whole bunch of times since the 13th hundreds. Yeah. We don't have any data on how many people have been cursed because of that. And the council members plan to not share it with the rest of the world actually didn't work out either. There is now a working replica of that clock at a place called Castle Praha in South Korea.
1: Sorry, Prague. My bad. That's well, OK. Well, you got one right. You got
0: one wrong. But that means you still have a chance here okay. if you can get question number three. You ready for it? OK, OK. Here we go. Question number three. Hanging in the Baroque Church of St. James the Greater in the heart of Prague's Old Town are some breathtaking paintings, there's statues, there's stained glass, but there's also something very unexpected for a house of worship. What is it? Is it A, a photo of Pope John Paul I with the original cast of Star Wars? Is it B, devil horns from reportedly a real demon?
1: Or C, a human arm? Uh, C, a human arm. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That is correct. There's actually a, a withered, mummified type human arm that's hanging from a meat hook. The legend is what I find fascinating. The arm came from a jewel thief who tried to steal jewels from a statue of the Virgin Mary. The statue came alive, tore off his arms. Jesus. <laughs>
1: not a saint. like that. That's why I went for that answer, because I was like, yeah, there's saints' bodies parts all over the place in these churches. I guess it didn't tear
0: off his arm. It grabbed his arm and held him until everybody could come and catch the thief. And the people that came to catch him were from the butcher's guild. Oh. And they amputated his arm and then hung it up to, as a warning to other people oh. not to steal from the... <laughs> statue of the Virgin Mary.
1: Don't remember if I saw that either.
0: <laughs> well, you got two. You yeah. got you got two out of three, which means that you win the trip back to see the dinosaurs. Congratulations to you. Very proud. I hope that you are too.
1: Thank you. Yes. Better than Space Camp. Better than Space Camp. <laughs>
0: That sound means it's time for rave rental or refund. This is our final word on the film. Is it a rave? Totally awesome. Go see it now. Is it a rental? Yeah, it's fine. I'll see it again. Maybe, who knows? Maybe I'll tell somebody. Or is it a refund? Oh no, please don't ever make me see this again. Tomorrow, I'll wake up and scald myself with tea from 1977. NC Jones, what say you? Rave rental or refund?
1: I'll go rental, uh, discount rental. If you've got a rent one, get one free, or you can find it on the interwebs. Go for it. And you have a lot of time that you're just trying to fill, possibly. <laughs> there are other things you can do. I don't know that I would tell you to go catch this and spend a significant amount of money for it. <laughs>
0: Man, I'm on the fence here because my initial impulse, it's definitely not a refund. I liked Mm. it. The initial impulse is to say rental just because it's so cheesy and weird and whatever but I'm almost coming into the rave category. I think I'm Uh, rental with rave rising because it's just so memorable and weird. And I found it really enjoyable.
1: Yeah, I didn't dislike it. And I think it's one of those films you get a lot of mileage out of referring to being like, I saw this really weird film this one time. And, you know, it's uh, definitely a unique addition to the genre of World War II revisionist history, for
0: sure. And if for
1: no other reason
0: than for the soundtrack, I I may have to fall into the rave category.
1: Yeah, the music is great. I mean, the costumes, the the production value was really, really, really slow.
0: Well, there we go. We got one rental and one rave or rental with rave rising, rising or whatever it may be. Yeah. And see, I appreciate you being here. I, Thank you. I, I know that this was a tough one to go through. I know that this is an odd one to try to keep in your head and keep straight, but you did it. I and, made it, yes. And you made it.
1: It was always great to have, be here and I appreciate kind of getting the impetus to watch something that I haven't heard of or you know, not a lot of folks are throwing me recommendations. Feel free to stalk me and like throw me weird film recommendations. Well, where can we stalk you? I'm on Line. i guess i still have a twitter in- so you're the one <laughs> instagram maybe you can find me at indy jones in jones or whenever the new twitter comes out i miss it but i uninstalled it from my phone so i don't know wanna- god bless you
0: you got a lot going on, though. Tell us
1: about yeah, what you got going yeah. on. Yeah, I got a film uh, me and my creative partner, Kira Moore, made over the pandemic. Is uh, just getting out to film festivals. So, doing um, the Longleaf Festival here in Raleigh uh, in the next couple of weeks. And what's the name of it? The film is called Lungs. And so, lungs-film.com or check out negativesplitfilms.com. Those are better references to catch my stuff.
0: So, next time we'll have you back for something not so weird. What do you think?
1: Or just more weird. It's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this has been subgenre a podcast about the movies subgenre is a production of Kabunki and is recorded and mixed at studio k this episode was written produced and hosted by me josh dassel alongside my guest host filmmaker nc jones Our theme music is Still Room on the Night Train by Ketza featuring Solar Flare. Go right now and subscribe to Subgenre on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts to make sure you get all of our brand new episodes, our past episodes, and any bonus content coming your way. And we're still looking for more listeners, so tell whoever you can about this show and leave your five-star review on Apple Podcasts and all the rest. I say it often, but I promise it's true. It's massive in helping other listeners find us, just like you did. Keep us financially afloat. We can use it by supporting Subgenre with your donations. You'll find the link to donate at our website, subgenrepodcast.com. We also do the Insta and Twitter thing, the latter for eh, who knows how long, both at Subgenre Pod. You want more time twisters? We've got them coming, so let the world know we're here. But in the meantime, please remember, we're all different. So no matter what your subgenre, be kind to who you meet. That's a wrap. (laughs) Bunky. <laughs>